Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking, a very special edition. Uh, They're all special, of course, but this one held a lot of surprises for me. The first was that uh, I showed up to record uh, an interview with Moshe Kasher, who's a comedian, um, TV writer, very interesting guy. I met, uh, actually I met him at Neil Strauss's house one night. I'm not sure what his connection to Neil is, but... Anyway, he was there, and uh, we chatted a bit, and he agreed to to be interviewed for the podcast, but uh, we didn't get it together till months later. Anyway, I showed up uh, at this beautiful house where he lives with his girlfriend in the Hollywood Hills, and Reggie Watts was there, and Reggie was like, hey, can I join in? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So they had a soundboard. We uh, put it together, and... So that was the first thing that uh, Reggie joined us for the podcast, which was fantastic. And um, and that was the first surprise. And then another surprise was just how interesting these guys are. I I mean, you'll hear uh, that uh, Moshe was raised by um, two deaf parents, which uh, created all sorts of really interesting situations. He, he, He talks about... Um, how he had a job for a while translating or interpreting, I guess is the better word for, uh, for deaf people. Um, you know, you, you wonder how, how do deaf people make a phone call? You know, how do they arrange a doctor's appointment or, or going for a job interview, you know, set up a job interview over the phone? How, how do they do these things that we all take for granted? Well, it turns out there are all these services. And, uh, so Moshe tells some pretty amazing stories about those. Um, but before uh, I, I throw over to that, uh, I've got the normal stuff to talk about. Uh, I encourage you to check out SureDesignTshirts.com, our uh, sponsor. If you want a Sex at Dawn shirt, of course, you can order them at ChrisRyanPhD.com, my, my personal website, where we've got, uh, I think we've got every size in stock right now. So, uh Check check that out if you want one of those sexy, cool, sexadon t-shirts. And if you want any other t-shirt um, at uh, suredesigntshirts.com, you get a 10% discount if you enter sex at dawn, the code word sex at dawn, one word all together. You get 10% off your order. Uh, at Chris Ryan PhD, you'll see the tangentially speaking, uh, tab there. And if you go in there, you can uh, donate. If you've got some extra money sitting around, you want to support the podcast. Uh, another way to support the podcast is to click through the Amazon link. You'll find there. I think, uh, Kyle set up a bonobo. You click on his balls, I think is, is what we've got going on now. So click on that Bonobo's Balls, and that'll take you through to Amazon. And then anything you buy at Amazon, uh, we get a couple of percentage of whatever you spend. And it doesn't cost you anything extra. So that's a pretty cool way to donate to the podcast. You can also find the podcast, of course, on Stitcher, on iTunes, 
on feralaudio.com. There's also a donate button at the Feral Audio uh, site where you can donate to this podcast or just to the the whole collective of podcasts there. They've got uh, Duncan Trussell Family Hour, uh, which you all know I'm a fan of, and uh, Harmontown and uh, 15 or 20 other podcasts all, all in that same same site. Oh yeah, the music just started out on the on the on Fourth Street. I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, there's a street fair going on uh, right next to where I am. So if you hear that thumping and screaming in the background, that's uh, Vancouver Street Festival. What else do I need to tell you? If you go to iTunes, if you if you download the podcast from iTunes, it's always cool if you leave comments uh, and ratings. Uh, apparently, that uh, the algorithm is helped somehow with that and uh it's always cool to increase our algorithm <laughs> whatever the hell that means uh and of course carsey blanton always thanks to carsey for smoke alarm which you just heard and uh she got married recently so send carsey and her husband some love we were invited to their wedding didn't go because i'm writing this book and you know it can't just stop in the middle and take off and go to Virginia and have a great time for four or five days. It it sort of breaks the momentum. Uh, But I regret it deeply because that probably would have been, probably was one of the best weddings I've ever been invited to. Okay, shout out. Chris Drummond, he's on his way to Greece, or maybe he's already in Greece. You, Chris, are already in Greece. I've been getting a lot of emails recently from primarily young guys in their 20s wondering whether or not they should go travel or do the responsible thing and go to grad school, get a job, whatever. And, you know, if you're writing to me asking my opinion, I would say you've already pretty much decided what you're going to do. You know, (laughs) that's why you're writing to me because, you know, I'm not going to say, no, don't go travel, you know. Forget about adventure, you know, stay home, get, you know, live in your parents' basement, get a job down at the Safeway. No, that's not what I'm going to say. I don't like giving advice, but, you know, uh, I'm certainly very glad that I didn't go straight into grad school as I was planning to do when I was that age uh, and things intervened. Um. Anyway, what else? What else can I tell you? Interesting things that have been happening in my life recently. Um, well, I, you know, every once in a while I hear about someone famous reading our book. You know, they'll tweet about it or they'll mention it in an interview or something. And uh, yeah, in the last week or two, um, Ellen Page, the Canadian actress who was in Juno and, and lots of other stuff. Uh, somebody read an interview she gave to The Guardian where she said, oh, yeah, I just finished reading this great book about the prehistory of human sexuality. Dude, you'd love it. And so people tweeted like, wow, was she talking about your book? I don't know. And then uh, a couple of days later, there was a tweet from her saying, yeah, it was your book. I'm a, I love it. It's like, wow, that's that's amazing, you know, that a book filters out or to all these different places. Um, Aziz Ansari, the comedian, the guy, the actor in, um, let's see, in that uh, Parson Recreation, lots of other stuff. 
Uh, he's been in touch. Apparently, he read the book and enjoyed it. And we sort of uh, exchanged emails talking about uh, human sexuality and mating and all this kind of stuff. I guess he's working some of that sort of material into his act. Um, so I might see him in, in L.A. when I go down in August, which would be very cool. I'm also going to be interviewing one of the world's best uh, close-up magicians, a guy named Jamie, Allen, Jamie Ian Swiss. There was a New Yorker profile on him uh, about a year ago. Very interesting guy. So he's going to be performing at the Magic Castle in L.A. in early August. I'm going to go down and uh, interview him for the podcast. I think that'll be interesting. He's a uh, sort of a prominent skeptic, uh, as a lot of magicians are, you know, because they've been they know they know how to do the tricks. So they like to call bullshit on on gurus and healers and uh, you know psychics and people like that that are often tricksters um and what else well cassie and i are going to next week we're going to be in actually when you hear this podcast uh because i'll release it tuesday probably we'll be on uh, vancouver island we're gonna do a little drive over there i'm gonna be recording um i think a video it's a video podcast um, with uh, Dave Asprey, who's the Bulletproof executive. Uh, he's got a place near Victoria, so we're going to go over there. I'm going to record that. I'm not sure when that comes out, uh, whether he releases them right away or if, if he sort of lets them pile up as I do. Um, but you can check, uh, check him out. He's at uh, bulletproofexec.com. He's the guy who invented or put together Bulletproof Coffee, and um, I've never met him, but uh, he's a biohacker, a very well-known guy. So I'm going to go over there, and we're going we're gonna to talk. Uh, I'll be on his podcast. He won't be on this one as far as I know, unless he wants to, in which case I'll slap it together and record something with him. But then we're going to go up to um, a place called Tofino, which is on the west coast of the island, which I've never, I've never been there, but it looks like you know, the edge of the world, it looks pretty, pretty cool, pretty beautiful. So we'll go do a little hiking and then we're going to go see Andrew Weil, the, the great, uh, uh, comprehensive medical, uh, I forget the, the term he uses for his medicine, complementary medicine where, um, well, you probably know him. He's big white beard and he, uh, is actually the first person I interviewed for this podcast, uh, last year when we were at his place. Uh, very interesting guy, fascinating guy, very uh, authoritative expert on consciousness, on medicine, on, on you know medical traditions around the world. Uh, one of the most interesting people I've ever had the pleasure uh, to hang out with. So we'll see. We're going to be up there a few days, and if he's up for it, maybe I'll record another podcast with him. I'd certainly love to, but I don't want to. I don't want to be a pain in the ass. You know, he already gave me one interview, which. Uh, you know, for the, <laughs> although now we've got a decent audience. I mean, when, when I did that interview with him, I had no audience at all, but, uh, thanks to you telling your friends and, uh, you know, the word is spreading the, the audience for this podcast seems to be going up, um, pretty steadily, uh, episode to episode, despite the fact that I've been irregular of late and, uh, you know, just coming out every couple of weeks, 
you know, when I finish this book, I'm going to put a lot more, a lot more of my energy into the podcast though, because I really enjoy it. I really, I mean, I hope you, I hope that comes through in the interviews that I really enjoy talking with these people. I, I love having an excuse, you know, to sit down and talk with somebody for a couple hours and, and hear their story. And, and, you know, I, I know sometimes I talk more than I should actually, but that's because they're, they're interested too, you know, and in most cases we've never met each other. So I don't go into it saying, you know, Hey, I'm not, you know, it's not a, a psychotherapy session where I'm not going to talk or you are just going to talk about you. I try to keep it conversational. Um, but, you know, I, I, every once in a while I'll hear from somebody who'll say, dude, you know, you, you know, Ari, Ari Shafir is really interesting and, you know, you should have let him talk more. And like, OK, I hear you. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but, uh, you know, but it's just the way it is. You know, we're just hanging out talking and, and uh, I like that energy and, and I hope you do, too, even if you hear me tell the same story uh, a couple of times. I hope that's a fair trade-off. Anyway, um, another interesting thing, a guy named Josh Fox, who you may have heard about, he, he did um, directed and, and stars and produced, well, I don't know if he produced, but he's the guy behind Gasland and Gasland 2. Very cool guy. Um, he's been everywhere. He's been on Bill Maher, on, on um, uh, God, I've seen him like in five or six different places in the last couple of weeks, just because Gasland Two came out, and and it's raising a lot of uh, a lot of hell out there, which it should. It's great that he's able to uh, to bring attention to the travesty that is fracking. Jesus Christ, it's like it's not bad enough that we fuck up the surface of the planet and the atmosphere of the planet. Now we've got to drill into the bedrock of the planet and inject toxic fucking chemicals down there as well. I mean, what the fuck? Jesus Christ. Anyway, sorry, sorry. I just went off the rails there a second. Anyway, Josh Fox um, and I have been talking quite a bit about possibly doing a documentary on Sex at Dawn. He's pretty excited about it. So... When he finishes the, his current uh, media frenzy, uh, we're going to get together and, and see if there's, if there's a way to do that, um, which is great. I, I really, you know, a lot of people have reached out to talk about maybe doing a documentary. Um, you know, and it's always great when, when somebody's interesting, interested in, in promoting your work and, and, you know, making it visual and they're, they're passionate about it. But I really, I'm very happy about Josh because he sees it as a very political um, job, a political uh, project, uh, which, which is how I see it. You know, I, I was talking with a friend last night. And she said, you know, everyone thinks that book's about sex. It's not about sex. It's about community. It's about how we treat each other. It's about sincerity and honesty. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. The sex is like, yeah, okay. The, the sex is just the first level, you know, and it's really about what sex means. And when you get into what sex really means, then you're not talking about sex anymore. You're talking about something much deeper. Um, and you'll find, I think, that uh, in this conversation with, uh, with Moshe and Reggie that, that we get into some pretty interesting stuff. Um, start off with porn in the Vatican, but it goes far beyond that. Yeah, that sounds good. This is the yeah. master. Master. Of amber the size master. of a car in the I'm, Vatican. Yeah, I mean, it just, it's shock, you know, the wealth of the Vatican is shocking, but you don't see it physically until you get to the Vatican. It's beyond. 
Do they allow Jewish people in the Vatican? I, they didn't ask. Oh, really? Yeah. They don't, don't ask. They don't, don't ask. ask to don't see tell. Your penis or anything? No, no. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a uh, penal scan. Yeah. Penal scan. Penal scan complete. Semitism detected. A friend of mine was doing an article, I think it was for the Smithsonian on the Vatican on some ancient secret scroll or something that's in the Vatican library and they let him in to, to look at this thing and it turns out they've got Wi-Fi in the Vatican library so he sent me an email saying dude I am in the Vatican library right now and I wrote back and said you should go on a porn site and he did <laughs> and it was not blocked and it wasn't blocked <laughs> That's the, then that recent thing came out when they said that there's like so much porn that's being downloaded yeah. in the Vatican hilarious well, there you go. It's, they do have a filter but it's for heterosexual porn <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Locks yeah, that's you right. off. Adult that's porn. Right. It stops yeah. at like soft core lesbian porn. Right. But like, you know, the fake lesbian porn. All right, we're back uh, from the Vatican with uh, Moshe Kasher. Is that pronounced Moshe. correctly? Moshe. Moshe, not Moshe. Moshe. Yeah, man. Correction approved. Sorry. Moshe Kasher and Reggie Watts. It's me. The great Reggie Watts. Taking notes. What about the great Moshe Kasher? I don't get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I talked to him outside. Oh, yeah. yeah about fair <laughs> the mediocre Moshe Kasher and the great Reggie Watts. The ever-existing Moshe Kasher. I've got a friend of mine, uh, Stanley, who I've interviewed on this podcast a couple times. Uh, he's a parapsychologist. You know, he's, oh, he's right. a really interesting guy. And What's he's, that? Psychology on when ghosts. you jump out of airplanes? Well, the... <laughs> Thanks, Thank you. Thank oh, you. I get we have, it. We got sound effects for this one. Uh, he studies like the, the sort of fringe psychology, telepathy, dreams, you know, all this sort of stuff. And uh, he's got a whole series of friends named the Amazing. Like he knows the Amazing Randy, <laughs> sure. the Amazing Kreskin, and there's some other Amazing. The Amazing Hitler. <laughs> I believe that's the, the last. The, yeah, the, ama- the amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> that's right with an apostrophe. <laughs> yeah, totally. The amazing. Keep it casual. Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is great. This is uh, tangentially speaking. It's not only tangential, it's spontaneous. Uh, showed up uh, a few minutes ago to uh, talk with Moshe and Reggie was here. So we slept together so a soundboard and lots of cables. And we're coming at you three way. Yeah, man. It's a group podcast. This is just your style, right? Uh, normally there would be women involved. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Think, out, think outside the bun. <laughs> think the inside box. the think bun. Think outside the bun. <laughs> yeah, think outside the box and inside the bun. <laughs> well, you know what? The last person I, I did a podcast with just a few days ago was um, uh, ha- uh, Connor Habib, who's a gay porn star. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, he threatened to make me gay by the end of the podcast. Did he offer? He offered and threatened. Yeah, Just threatened. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what: if I were if I were going to go that way, he he might be the way I'd go. Habib would be the one. Habib has it going on. He's an interesting guy. Well, what do you? What what's the biological imperative for homosexuality? Uh, well, I think it's a mistake to assume a biological imperative for, for anything? anything unless it's demonstrated. Uh-huh. Um, there's a, a Stephen Jay Gould wrote a beautiful essay along with uh, Leventon. I think his name is called The Spandrels of San Marco. Anyone who's interested in evolution should really read that essay because it's, it's short, sweet, beautifully written, and the idea uh, that he presents, that they present, is really beautiful. San Marco is this church somewhere in Italy, and uh, some you know, medieval church. And when they built the arches, what they were doing at that time was they would build uh, a right angle 
right? And then they would create the arch inside the right angle and then fill in the corners between oh. the arch and the, the 90 degree gotcha. angle and the, you know, the columns and the posts and all that. But they filled it in so artfully and beautifully that you go there now and you look at it and you say, wow, you know, they, they, must, they built that in order to put those images inside there. Whereas actually they're just filling in a structural thing, right? right? So his point is that evolution does that, that there's something we look at and we say, that's an amazing evolutionary feature. Whereas in fact, it's a byproduct of some other process. Like the chin. You say, well, why did we, you know, the, the chin, some men's chins are more pronounced and others less so, or some have a dimple and some of this and that. So what's the evolutionary significance of Jay Leno's chin, you know? Turns out chin isn't really a thing, biologically speaking. It's just this point where the two jawbones come together and, and yeah. fuse, uh-huh. right? Yeah. It's not a thing, even though it has a name. Right. So for us, we look at something beautiful and go, oh, it's evidence of some sort of intricate plan, when right. in fact the intricacy is there because of the accidental nature or whatever else was happening to bring it there in the first Could place. Could be, yeah. 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 And so I gotcha. think when people look at homosexuality and they say, you know, well, how on earth can homosexuality exist? They don't have babies. Well, you're assuming, first of all, that there's a genetic uh, reason for everything that exists in us. And uh-huh, obviously right. that's not true. Uh, also, we're assuming that it's a discrete, like one gene per thing, you know, the gene for happiness or the gene for this or that, which is bullshit. And uh, and the other thing is we're assuming that sex is about reproduction. Right. Which the point of my TED talk, which we were talking about earlier, was to get people to understand that human sexuality is not really about reproduction. In fact, reproduction mm-hmm. is a very rare outcome of human sexual interaction like we have sex about a thousand times per birth whereas gorillas or most mammals have sex about a dozen times per birth and i have sex like a gorilla so that's all connected is it true yeah i'm real aggressive (laughs) you just kill everybody (laughs) i rip people's heads you have the strength of a gorilla while having sex but gorillas aren't aggressive and they have very very small penises really so you want to be careful about declaring yourself a gorilla (laughs) no i meant it exactly the way it sounded that's the bad news I'm docile and small informed, and very informed, <laughs> but joke. I do punch my chest a lot. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> Wait, but what? So what? I mean, but isn't sex biologically speaking even the thousand? I mean, it still stands to reason that even the thousand uh, times you have sex, have a baby is there is to have a baby. I, I think the urge, right? It's the wiring. The wiring. The compulsion is like. I mean. The compulsion is to make it very satisfying in some way or attractive mm. in some way and to ensure that it happens. But human beings also, you know, avoid that and avert it to right. just have the experience of the good feelings. Well, you're right? talking about birth control, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the thousand to one ratio is before birth control. I'm talking about hunter gatherer people oh, in the jungle. It still wow. takes that right. long. They, right. still, they still just like to have fun. But aren't they still acting out on a biological like urge to to urge to merge no urge to reproduce i mean isn't that well probably originally yeah at some original level the the fact that it feels good you could probably assume that that's to encourage the reproduction of the species right but in our particular case uh we as a species have co-opted that pleasure for other uses which which you find in in biology all the time you know Mm -hmm. um uh, wings, for example, uh, to fly. It, 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 it's a real conundrum in evolutionary theory. Like, w- how and why did different animals develop wings? Because there's no intermediate stage, right? right? There's no stage where you're, 
you're evolving these wings and it's like you know you're you're reproducing more and surviving more because you've got half a wing you know what i mean <laughs> that right. just why right. would that happen so what they've discovered is that wings probably evolved as a means of um controlling body temperature so you open your wings and you cool down quickly you close the wings you're covering a big part of your body and you warm up quickly yeah. so then at some point whatever animal had those wings would jump out of a tree like a flying squirrel or something and be like, Ooh, you know, Hey, I don't land as fast. And I got away from these predators. Yeah. And so that sort of led into flight. So but that flight's wasn't an the original. Yeah. Flight's an accident. That's crazy. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like all the major aspects. I mean, it's an interesting, beautiful thing to think about that all the major things that we've grown accustomed to that we can identify immediately were generally come up with or came into being by these subtle uh, small reactions or small adjustments that were made well the whole idea of of uh you know evolutionary change is that they're random mutations Mm. right so an accident serendipity is sort of at the heart of darwinian selection right right yeah And thus, God exists. So anyway, change the subject. <laughs> Singular God. Yeah, one theist. God. He is a man, and he does have a beard. And, and he's he jealous. Wants, and he's mad. He's, he's fucking jealous. He is sharpening a lightning bolt, even as we speak. Yeah. And he's really complicated, too, because yeah. he's kind of destructive. But then sometimes he creates beautiful stuff, and <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's confusing. And he doesn't get the wing thing, either. I don't know what I was thinking there, but it's cool that they can fly. Hey, good job. Good what for it, you guys. I saw someone recently talking. About, oh, it was um, the British guy who did The Office. Uh, uh, Ricky Gervais, yeah, right? Yeah, he yeah. said, "Like if God exists, why did He make me an atheist?" That's a hard oh, one to wrap your head wow. around. Yeah, that's pretty great. <laughs> well, that okay, but I would I would posit that that speaks to the the fundamentalist nature of modern atheism, which is as fundamentalist. I mean, not all of them, obviously, yeah. but, but it's the fundamentalist branch of atheism seems to be as fundamentalist as the fundamentalist branch of religious religious people. It's like. I'm well, with you there. Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Oh, intense, There cannot right? be a God. It's the stupidest thing ever to think there is a God. Like, hey, so it's like a, It's Ricky Gervais who's smart and knows that not everybody believes in a God that is literally making every decision that everybody makes. Right. I mean, not everybody has that same belief in God. Sure, right? sure. And also monotheism is a, is a, is a shorter-lived form of religion than polytheism. You think so? I think so. Oh, I guess no. That's, I think a, it that's makes unarguable. Because I mean, right. if you think about you, like you know, it makes sense that like people would look at things and go ascribe um, an essence or a or a spirit to to a specific thing, like right. all of the water, right. the rain that comes down, the land, this food, um, you know, and then they start ascribing meaning to things, and then suddenly they get results, and then it starts to solidify. Yeah. Right? No, it no, makes sense of the it's world. An, yeah, and animism appears to have been the way humans interacted with the spiritual world until agriculture. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. One of the interesting things about huh. Judaism and monotheism, I, yeah. and if you look at the language in the the early, you know, the the first books of the Bible, when they're saying, "I'm the only God you should you should worship," that's like the language that they're saying. "I'm yeah. the only God you should worship." They're not saying, "I'm the only God that exists," which is really interesting. Ah, right. but there's no oh. you, should, you should worship no other God before me. So, in other words, they're giving. I don't know if they're giving them power as gods, but they're certainly saying there are things in the world that have power yeah. that are not me. Those aren't the things to worship. So, even yeah. even the the advent of monotheism wasn't purely monotheistic until good you point. Know. And when they got to Europe, what did they do? They burned the fucking witches. Yeah, you know, and yeah, the same right. in the 
new world. Yeah, pagans. Right, like wipe out anybody. Yeah. Yeah. The Druids, the pagans, yeah. the Gnostics. Yeah. Gnostics got wiped out and they had a different interpretation of Christianity. Right. right. As, yeah. as more How about an inner luminary, like, uh, you know, uh, self-realization. But have you met a Wiccan? I mean, they do in a weird way. You would want to burn them. Just like, I mean, maybe not to death, but just to make them stop. Maybe no. maybe some chili chili pepper or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give I, us some spicy food. I'll tell you what. I've met a lot of goddesses. Sure. Uh, recently, I can't imagine yeah, you I'm haven't sure. met. You've met more goddesses <laughs> than sure. the average man. <laughs> and I did not know goddesses existed. Uh, and what what I wonder about, like, I meet all these women who call themselves goddesses, and like, you know, okay, if I start calling myself a god, how's that going to go over? Yeah, you know? right. That is that is strange. Goddess. Goddess is okay, but yeah, God... Worship the goddess. Like, well, okay. But isn't it the same kind of argument as like, you know, oh, well, how, how come we don't have a white pride month? Huh? How come we don't have a, a, a white history month? It's like, well, all of the history, all of the months are, are, are white history. Right. All men think they're God. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, what it, men already won. Or gorillas. Yeah, huh? That's right. One or God, the other. God also says it's very final, isn't it? Yeah, Like, right. if you call yourself a god you are kind of indicating that there are other gods but yeah. generally ah, you, you just imi- you, you immediately go to god, god. Yeah. Right. so but a goddess you know that there are various goddesses sure. and then also it's just been culturally accepted as like oh she's such a goddess you right. know, she's amazing and you know we have a different association to it but when you say like yeah well I'm a god <laughs> just like, people are just like shut the fuck up <laughs> well that's a fascinating question I wonder if there's ever been a monotheistic religion that, be- that believed in one goddess that all got, there, there was only one goddess, only one feminine deity. Right. I wonder, yeah, has that always been patriarchal? Because I know there were matriarchal societies. Yeah. Uh, the Chalice and the Blade, have you heard of that book? Uh, uh, Ran Aisler is. She posits that there were uh, matriarchal societies before Christianity, and, yeah. and the evidence for them has been, you know, suppressed and wiped out. Right. the The historical argument is is contentious. Uh, it's certainly not widely accepted, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know of any polytheistic religions or, or monotheistic religions that are based on one. I mean, Kali is pretty intense. Kali's and, a, very yeah. powerful. And, but who, is Shiva? Oh, no, that's a man. What's no, the big? She, what's the Shiva's biggest? A woman. Shiva's a woman. Shiva's a, that's yeah, the yeah. biggest female god in Hinduism, right? I think so. And Kali's a part of Shiva, right? I think Kali, so. Kali, yeah, the, yeah, the destroyer, all, right? The, the destroyer the, and the creator. And the, I met a Kali creator. or two in my day, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Kali or two. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you calling us out, Kali and us out. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> this is what happens when you interview comedians, folks. Try you got to isolate them. Smart they, comedians <laughs> when they get together. But wait a minute, what you saying about all comedians is that? <laughs> Sorry, I'm generalizing about no, comedians. No, 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 please do. They're so easily offended. That's the thing about comedians. <laughs> that's, that's the luck that we don't give a fuck. Yeah. yeah, I know, actually. Have you ever known an easily offended comedian? There is such a thing. Is there? You know, it depends. I think that, it's the right weird... button. If you hit the right button right. with a comedian, it definitely something like really? that. Really? Yeah, I mean, if, they know, if you're just fucking around, it's like, you know, like that idea, that saying, like, don't try to fool a fooler or a trick trick right. a trickster or whatever it's yeah. like comedians are kind of in that mode so if yeah. someone starts to fuck around with them they're just like oh i see what this is and You're then they'll just kind of play it. along and then they'll go bam <laughs> and yeah. they'll be like oh right okay okay right but if they're caught off guard in like this kind of insecure place that all comedians have right um then yeah sometimes it triggers something they might mask it and get, like lick the wounds later yeah right. comedians are, can be very sensitive people they can be very i mean we're all egomaniacs every one of us to yeah. a man is like a self-obsessed i would say but also very yeah. self-aware you know which is what's cool about I mean, every I've, I've met a lot of comedians in la since i've been here it seems like you can't swing a fucking cat without hitting a right. comedian no. in this town 
Um, but there, everyone I've I've gotten to know has been has said what you just said. You know, like, hey, I'm very insecure. That's why I do this, right? And so, someone who says that is right. sort of by definition not really that insecure. That's true, and it's also become yeah. a kind of trope amongst comedians. You're almost supposed to. Well, you know, I'm like, I'm a fuck. You know me, I'm fucked up. That's right. why yeah. I become damaged. Like, All goods. right, yeah, you All know, right. That, that's just ego. <laughs> the it's only way I can like escape humility. my dark existence <laughs> is by creating humor and the perspective gains and insight. Well, like, yeah. It's my therapy. What can I say? <laughs> I know, it's my t- therapy. T- totally right. shut up. I mean, we were talking about Kate Micucci actually. Uh-huh. Kate Micucci is like just kind of who she is. Yeah, and she and there is no. Um, like she's an example of someone that there's not she doesn't come from a terrible past she doesn't really have in my experience hanging out with her a lot of darkness in Mm -hmm. her life she's definitely very thoughtful about what she's doing and things like that but not really on that level I know a lot of actually in the alt scene you know (laughs) alternative comedy scene whatever that yeah non starter not you get paid less essentially yeah that's right alternative (laughs) payment yeah (laughs) it's like it's like non road comics I would say Uh, yeah sort of a thing kind of it's a it's a club comics it's a kind of a uh, what was once what once had value as a term and I think sort of has diminished value because you know some of the biggest comedians in the world right now are from that world right. Patton mm-hmm. Oswald and Louis C.K. I mean, yeah. Louis to a lesser degree, but you know, a lot of these people they w- would have been considered alt comics at one yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say that. I would say you know the spirit of alt comedy would maybe exist with things like Garfunkel and Oates. Like sure. they're kind of like they do what they do, but you're not like well, they're the fourth one of those that I've seen. This you know, like right. it, there there are things like it, but they're really it's kind of a one of kind thing. Right. Or even Kristen Schaal and her approach, or Kurt Brannell, or like right. everyone's got kind of these bizarre approaches. It's like somewhere between performance art and stand up comedy, right? I would say, yeah, yeah. I mean, someone but that's like different. Kristen Schaal, Kristen Schaal, yeah. I, she was the groupie on uh, the New Zealand dudes. Oh, yeah, yeah, Congress, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. She's on Daily Show a yeah, lot. She's yeah, she's on okay. Daily Show. Right, that's yeah. what I thought. Now, is that someone like that? She's playing a character, right? That's not her. Uh, hard to, or is that the performance say. aspect? Every, well, here's it, so. here's a thing I think about comedy that everybody on stage is maybe is themselves times five or something. Yeah, right, that sounds right. And the more alt you get, quote unquote, the more times, the more multiplication oh, factors really? you have. You, uh, you know I like I mean? that. That's a good <laughs> so, equation. Yeah, that's true. So it's it's an aspect of yourself that you're pulling out and multiplying. Yes, right? I think that's right. Yeah, I, I think yeah, so. it's a, it's a heightened thing. It's definitely something that's kind of more focused and like laser sharp. Whereas right. you know. You, you know, there are a lot of comedians that, that they don't know how to turn off. Hmm. You know, like there's cats like you're in a super really relaxed social situation. There's no reason why they should continue to be on. And yet they continue to be on. There, there are those types that right. that, are, that are it's a kind of an interesting phenomenon. But then most of the friends I hang out with, they just turn off. I mean, we're definitely joking. We'll go into joke mode. But right. like. But we definitely turn off and talk about things in a realistic manner. Right. So it's interesting. There's also a division there within. Yeah. I heard a thing the other day. Jonathan Winter died, and they were doing oh, yeah. a retrospective on NPR. I was driving somewhere, and someone, you just reminded me of it, uh, someone talked about how he'd run into Jonathan Winters in a drugstore, like mm-hmm. waiting to pick up a prescription. Mm-hmm. And it was him, his wife, and Jonathan Winters. And Jonathan Winters spent 20 minutes like doing a spontaneous routine, like picking things up off the counter uh-huh. and prop comedy and like this whole thing. Uh-huh. And the guy was like, there's an audience of two. And he went on for 20 minutes. Yes. 
Like, what's going on there? You know, it's 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 it's, it's, it's his raison d'être. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, yes. you know, Robin Williams is like that too. Robin. Really, I've been he just in a, never stops in a green room with Robin. Williams. just like, all right, about another thing. Yeah. You're just like, uh, you know, you don't need to do this. Yeah, no. I have found that for myself when I was younger, before I did comedy, I needed a lot more social attention. Uh, I need. I was always on socially, right? Always. And once I started doing comedy more uh, and and then eventually professionally it sort of sapped that need socially for me to be like performing all the time and right. so now people I'm, I'm i turn off just like reggie was talking yeah. about but i didn't used to right yeah huh. i mean what was that yeah. like when you reached the stage where you noticed you were calming down was that a well, relief was, well yeah for sure i mean it was more people telling me well you've changed you've calmed down and then me thinking well i wonder why that is and then i think oh i'm getting my attention my life is attention right i get so much attention every night of the week. I, I mean, there's no yeah, more right. attentive thing than to be a yeah. stand-up. You have yeah. no deficiency. You have yeah. an abundance. Yeah, you're just the you're the person. You everyone's looking at you. The whole audience is quiet. You're talking. They're like, hmm, how about that? Do we like that? You know. Yeah. So now I don't need attention. I have right. more attention than most human beings will ever get. So is attention? I, re- I remember reading this line somewhere. Someone said. Uh, Sex is like money. It's never enough until it's too much. Uh-huh. And would you add attention to that list? That's really interesting. I, yeah, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't analyzed the need for... I mean, because I, I, like I had this... I must have had a deep thirst for attention. Or I wouldn't have been driven to be a comedian in the first place. Can we get into your, your background a little bit? Are you Maybe. comfortable talking about yeah, sure. that? I mean, do whatever you want. We yeah. can... I'm interested. I just I, want to talk about sex. But I yeah. mean, I, I, <laughs> I want to talk about fucking. I, I got to be honest. I prepped for this interview like three months ago. Oh, when really? we right, met, right. you know, because it seemed like we were going to meet. Like, hey, let's get together. I know we've like, been dancing for a long time. Yeah, yeah. It, um, but uh, I remember reading. You're from Oakland, Berkeley, uh, Oakland, yeah, Oakland, and both your parents are blind or deaf. They're both deaf. They're yeah. both deaf. Yeah, neither are blind yet. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So. So I, I just I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Are you adopted or no? No. no. Okay. No. So, and did you have siblings? I have siblings. Okay. Yeah. What What's that like? Well, it's, I mean, at, at home and like no phone calls, right? There's no texting when you were a kid. That's true, man. Yeah. The so internet. Like, the internet has changed the entire communication. I mean, yeah. there used to be. Not only was my mother deaf, but she was also like uh, real absent-minded, and so they have these cords that you would build these cables you'd build into deaf houses back then probably still where the doorbell was linked to a to a cord that would go to light bulbs throughout the house and so you ring the doorbell and the light bulbs flash right and so um but my mom that some circuit broke very early on in my childhood and my mom was just like just <laughs> we'll just it. we'll just let that one slide so my whole childhood and i was also like a childhood kind of drug addict uh-huh. So I was always losing keys and just bumble. Everybody was bumbling. And uh, so I would lose my key and then I would get home. There'd be no hope. My mom would be there, but I had no way to get in. Because the door is locked. I would just like yeah. bang on the door until I had a dog and I would sort of hope that the dog was not trained to do this, would sort of like get the hint <laughs> and go like, uh, lassie, blah, 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 blah. And, and I would just sit on the front stoop and just hope and wait for my mom to just come outside and be like, oh, thank God. And then I could go in. Wow. <laughs> or calling my mom. Yeah, I never could call my mom. We would yeah. always have to, uh, you would have to call on like a service. Right. You would call a service and the per- a person would pick up and then the person 
would have a like a little pr- proto modem. This is you know yeah. one of the early just text feed modem. So it was like a thing you put the phone on. There's a very small ticker tape screen Whoa. where they would read what was being said, but it wasn't real conversations because you had because it was text. You couldn't like interrupt or so it would have to wait for a signal to speak. So it would be hi. You know, I would say to the phone, "Hi, mom. I'm at the front door." I need you to let me in. Why did you never fix those fucking cables? <laughs> go ahead. It was say, go, go ahead. ahead. Right. And then my mom would you know, write back, I'm sorry, son. You're the best son I've ever had. You're so handsome and talented, and I foresee a future in show business for you. I'll come let you in. Go ahead. Go ahead. And then yeah. we'd go back, back and forth. And you know, and then of course it would be some guy. It would always be some weird voice too. So my mother would oh, right. be like, "Hello, it's your mother. Uh, hey, oh son, I love you, son." And it'd be like, "Okay, I love you too, mom." Um, wow. And then you would say, "Okay, I'm coming down to pick you up." SK, which meant stopped, stop keying. Ah, uh, and that nice. was goodbye. Nice. Stop keying is goodbye. That's stop keying. Yes, yeah. that's, that's moving. <laughs> yeah, stop keying. Wow, that's heavy. I, I never like saying Go stop ahead. keying. Yeah. I just hate stop keying, you know, like yeah. at a train station with yeah. a girl I love. Oh, yeah, I, I know. Mi amor. We've done I, it so many times. Mi amor, I will never forget you. Stop keying. <laughs> stop keying, too. You. I love you. Stop keying. Oh, wow. wow. Okay, well, to just follow that a little, do you have your parents been able to appreciate your stand-up act you know i have some guilt about that the truth is because um my mom's never seen she's seen me do stand-up with captioning on a te- on television right do they that, lip read nah no one could lip read me i, I talk very fast that's uh, a part of what i do on stage i'm uh, really okay. a quick talker right and so she always wants to get a sign language interpreter which would be kind of a more holistic naturalistic experience for her and i've never I've never done it yet, right. and I feel guilty about that, but someday it'll happen. Do you know how to sign? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm fluent in sign language. So, have you ever decided to do a bit just for her? Well, that's the other thing that people ask. This is why I feel guilty. Is right. People go, well, why don't you just perform in sign language? But I don't know how to perform in sign language. I don't... It's like such it's a, a different, different language, right? I mean, it's, it's I mean, a it completely is, different you know language, I mean? and it's, it's not just a different language, but it's a completely different modality of language. It's like... Right. You know, English or, or just spoken language, especially comedy, is all based on timing. Right. And it's all based on, you know, word, it'll be wordplay or inflection. You know, like inflection. Or I'm going to throw this in this way and maybe I'm going to talk really fast at the end and then you applaud. Or right. And it's very difficult for me to really wrap my mind around how I would translate that into wow. sign language. Like whoever that interpreter is that does eventually interpret my act, I, I would, I pity them. And I don't <laughs> expect a lot the deaf people to particularly laugh, you know. <laughs> So I don't know, but it's been done before. I mean, really? people have had sign language interpreters. Yeah, many a comedian has a joke about having a sign language interpreter there and then yeah, forcing and the, trying to f- fuck around, with fuck them. with them. Yeah, force the interpreter to sign blowjob, and uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, many comedians have. And they through. know the sign. The, the funny thing is, those people know what's happening, and they're just like, oh, and here we go. Yeah, yep, and there's nothing they can do about it. Right. You know what I mean? They can't. The, the, interp- the whole point of interpreting. Is that you can't step out of Be your? Accurate, yeah. You have to. Actually, I have a funny story about that. I was a sign language interpreter for many years, oh. and um, <clears throat> one day I used to make these phone. I became the guy. So you're sorry. You're interpreting into sign language or out of sign language? Both back and oh, forth. Okay. I actually eventually became the guy on the phone. 
because <laughs> oh, you wow. became your that's mother. A, I became my mom. That's oh, right. wow. Because with the advent of webcam technology, uh, you no longer had to wait for go ahead and stop keying because it'd be somebody, an interpreter on a webcam piping into the deaf person's house so that you could have a real fluid conversation, which was a huge oh. a- advantage in, because it's like if I'm a business and, my, and this person calls and goes, hi, I would like to... Go, they're just like goodbye and they hang up the, the phone and and especially even more so a lot of deaf people's English skills aren't that great right they can if you read my, my mom has a master's degree but if she wrote you a letter you would think she was very uneducated right because the main way we learn language is hearing it some Oliver Sacks once said deaf people learning English is like you learning Japanese from a soundproof booth and people are holding up uh, cards of Japanese and going like pointing yeah. like ja- do the Jap- get Japanese, but you've never heard Japanese. Oh, so you come out speaking point. Japanese right. and then you just sound like, you know, it's... a retarded Japanese person. So, <laughs> That's great. So, um, so the advantage would be that my mom, I, you know, if I'm an interpreter and my mom presents a sign language linguistic sophistication that would suggest that she's an educated woman, well, then my duty as an interpreter is to give that over to the potential employer. So instead of, you know, calling a bit, hi, I like to apply for a job I'm going to say hello my name is so and so and I would like to apply for a, a position of employment at your company I have a master's degree for you know yeah. because that's the linguistic uh, you know yeah. that's the deal yeah. uh, then again if somebody called and was was retarded it was also my duty to give that over like I couldn't sugarcoat it oh, it would be morally questionable to sugarcoat it and right. to go Oh, you know, maybe I'll just make this guy sound a little smarter because then he's going to get to the job and the dude's going to be like, "Oh my god, I just hired like a developmentally disabled Can person." You, like with sign language, are you? Uh, so you see someone doing sign language? Yeah. Are you saying, "Wow, that person's really articulate"? Absolutely. Really. Yeah. So yeah. there's enough variation in the way people sign that there's style. For and, sure, it's just like talking to a stupid person or talking to a smart person. Really? I mean, it, yeah. Okay. You just see, oh. This person's not that bright, and that, and I have to give that over to the person they're calling, or they will think that they're talking to a different person. Do you know how how many concepts are there in sign language? I mean, you know, they say the average person in English, I think, uses about two to three thousand words regularly. Well, here's one of the most interesting things about sign language is that there are words, there are certainly concrete words, just like we have in English, but there's a whole area of um, like emoticons of emoticons of smiley faces <laughs> kind of all like the Chinese or something no there's this whole area of what's called classifiers in sign language which is if I was going to describe this house I wouldn't say there is I wouldn't sign there is a green uh, wall on the west side of the house with you know four curtains hanging down I would just paint that picture with my hands i would go i would show you the wall and i would you know say uh, i would i would position it with my hands on the west side of the of the sort of spatial area that i'm that i'm signing into and then i would say green uh, that's a phone that's it was it just something creaking um, like and then I would sh- I would just show you you know if i was to say well where does this person live well they're down the down the street you show that you kind of Map the, these aren't words that anyone's ever signed before. These are right. these are made these are gestures, it's almost that, charades or something, kind of a thing. But, it, but it's a part of the linguistic structure of American so sign language. So it goes in it goes in and out of that. <laughs> this is just getting more and more interesting. <laughs> the, the, the lawn the, man the, is here. That's all right. We have, well, these are, these have pretty high rejection. They're, they're yeah, right. they're actually amazing. I recorded um, driving down the five. Uh-huh. You know, and the car there's no car sounds or anything. So oh, that's great. we're we're reacting to. Um, <laughs> Our friendly uh, gardeners outside the window with their leaf blowers and, and lawn mowers. 
So, right. oh, here was the story I was going right. to say. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Staying, right. In, staying in character. Because the whole thing is you always have to be, you always, you, you're never allowed to say, oh, well, he says, I want a job. You always have to say, hello, to, I would like a job. Right. Oh, you're, you're, you are the person. Your right. duty is to remain invisible. You establish yourself as an interpreter. So when I would call, I would say, uh, you know, hello, I'm, this is my name is, oh, no, I would say, hello, this is Sorensen Video Relay Service, interpreter 773. I have a phone call for you from someone that uses sign language. I'm going to start your call right now. And you would always do it kind of forcefully like that mm. and quickly because the more time you give the hearing person to mull over what's happening, they'll get confused <laughs> and hang up the phone. Yes, right, right. So you just say, I've got a person here that uses sign language you'd like to speak to you. Here we go. And hello, <laughs> hi, my name is, Dave. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and so, uh, from here on, you're hanging up on the deaf person, not me. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or sometimes yeah. deaf people are savvy, and they would say, don't announce yourself at all. So oh. I would just call and say, hey, this is Joe. Really? I want a pizza. Yeah. You know, because right. nice. a person that wants a pizza doesn't need you to know that they're deaf and they're ordering it. They right. just want their fucking yeah, pizza. Yeah, right. Good point. So, okay. So I get this call one day. I've I interpreted a lot of strange calls, but this one was one of the best. This person called the police. And was like a crazy person. Uh, this deaf person was like uh, talking about how the police are following her, and you know how you, you know the fucking police is stupid pigs. You know, and there's this police officer on the phone that's just like very calm. He's like, "Well, ma'am, I mean, uh, I just uh, I, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I would like to help you in any way I can." I go, and I'm still in in first person. I'm like, well, you, "Fuck you, help me! You guys have been following me, you bastard pigs!" And I'm just the whole time, "You bastard, uh, you bastard pigs!" I'm in, just I'm an interpreter. And they, it's, the cop is so calm. Well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. You just let me know how I can help you. I'll do that. And then she goes, "Fuck your mother!" And I said, uh, "She says, fuck your mother." I, I you like, I'm sorry. I'm not. You know, she just said, "Fuck your mother." I didn't have anything to do with it. And, it, and I go, uh, "She said, uh, fuck your mother." And the cop stops. And he goes. Fuck my mama. Fuck you, motherfucker. I'll find just like lost his mind. <laughs> it was the greatest. It was oh one of the greatest. Oh, my God. Calls. That's crazy. And you were relaying this back to yeah, me. It was, uh, yeah. Whoa. Totally just fuck How long you, did man. it go? I mean, it, it, it escalated quickly and then somebody hung up. <sighs> do you ever, you ever do any phone sex? No, but I had these guys call once. Uh, yeah, I have done phone sex. I mean, in, but in, I haven't actively. As an interpreter. No, I haven't actively participated in it for a number of different reasons as an interpreter because it's very complicated to connect uh, and also most people don't want an intermediary so it would usually be curious like teens calling like you know how phone sex uh. they'll have like the, the info line like if you want wet pussy action right now call 976 wet you know yeah. so that would be it you yeah. know what I mean there are hot babes waiting right now yeah. so I've interpreted things like that wow. you know little teaser messages and one time I did that and these guys go I start interpreting teaser messages there's two men on the screen and they go they wave their hands like, no, 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 no. We don't want that. We don't want that. I go, okay. And they're like, we want like a woman to come to where we are and fuck us. <laughs> Do you know anybody? They say to me, <laughs> I'm working in a cubicle in Northern California. Nice. In like in pimp. D.C. Suddenly and I'm like, I'm <laughs> like, uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> but I go like. I just sort of like go. You might want to look up escorts in the in the yellow pages and like disconnected the call. Like, I mean, I, what can I do? Yeah, you helped them. Yeah, I t- definitely. <laughs> that's that's one of those jobs yeah. I never knew existed until ten minutes ago. Well, why would you? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that shit. You want to hear the saddest part of that job? Sure. This was, Uh-oh. and then we'll tell some Reggie stories. But <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the worst part of the job was that. Um, you know, they have these. You know how these these Nigerian scam kind of people, right. all scams, 
what they do is they start at the top level of society, regular, everyone, whoever, and then people get savvy to it, and then they plink down uh-huh. to the next most vulnerable thing. So that's why often uh, old people are being right. taken advantage of people like this, right? right? And then eventually old people get savvy to it, and then they'll plink down, and it would be deaf people. So they would start oh, doing these yeah. scams on Fuck, deaf people man. through the relay service. So they knew what was up, you know. And every once in a while you would get one of these calls. There's a strange number and a guy, hello, I would like to call. And it's like somebody in Idaho. And you're like, oh, this is one of these fucking calls. What? And the, the connection is real bad. And, and shit, it would be. And so here's the thing. Because the moral imperative of the interpreter is to stay neutral at all times. And only the, your only job is to facilitate, is to provide telephone service that would be equal to uh, what a hearing person could do. And a hearing person can be taken advantage of. And right? legality is not an issue. Like those it's, kids looking for a hooker. In fact, it is an, it, it, it is an issue in the opposite direction. Is, is that I, legally I have to, according to the FCC, who pays for it, by the way. Oh, really? The people who paid. Maybe people always say, who pays you? And I would always say, you do. <laughs> you paid my salary back then. Um, you have to provide. It be, it, you're supposed to be a, a dial tone. That's right. the idea. And right. to provide full equality. So full equality means that deaf people can get ripped off, too. And so my boss would come in and would say, you have to take these calls. We're we're not allowed to. We have to facilitate these calls. Even when you know that this person's being robbed, you have to just continue to interpret it. You're not allowed to say this person's ripping you off. You're not allowed to. uh, And and so you would interpret these calls. And sometimes it would be so scary. It would be like somebody's like, okay, I've got my ticket to Nigeria. I'm coming to Lagos. Uh, And you would just keep interpreting because that's your job. So anyway... You'll be you're, you'll be pleased to know that I was just like wow okay I said to my boss okay great and then when the phone call would come in I'd be like sorry I don't understand your accent click every single time I was just like well, yeah. you're gonna fire me I don't what do I care about getting fired right. wow. than sending this person to Lagos to go get their limbs amputated or something Ugh. holy shit isn't that interesting that's incredible that's like the wow. the immorality the of amorality of morality yeah you know what I mean yeah exactly it had a moral of, imperative. But it was it. I, I didn't. I couldn't participate in it. That's pretty mind blowing, man. That. Yeah, that's, that's I'm glad I asked you about gonna, that. It's gonna take a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's gonna be good. mulling it's, that it's, stuff it's, over. It's, it was pretty intense, man. Well, okay. What about what about a deaf person who calls a suicide hotline? Okay, great. Yeah, I haven't. Hear? I have interpreted suicide calls. In fact, I've interpreted suicide calls where a hearing person called a deaf person. I was telling the deaf person, I think I'm going to kill myself. What? And the deaf person was talking the hearing person down. So I've interpreted that. Are you fucking kidding me? So uh, that shouldn't blow your mind that bad. I mean, you know, deaf people can talk people down just like... No, no, no. no, I'm just imagining being in the middle. I know, right? It's the intermediary thing is the weird weird thing. It's not the weird thing, but it is. is, it's It's just a factor like... Like, does it just become, it just, you just dissolve, you know, and it just becomes You're supposed to dissolve, but of course, you know, the idea is you're supposed to dissolve, but you're, you're but a human. So you had all that residue. You couldn't not, yeah. that couldn't not be true. You couldn't just like hang up and be like, all right, Sudoku, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, some of you're the- You're like call- a lawyer. You yeah, know, defending someone you know is guilty. You're less than a lawyer. You're like an invisible yeah. a stenographer. You're yeah. a stenographer, right? A little bit. Yeah. And well, I knew a guy, a, a war cameraman, back in the day when you know, right. photojournalist. And this guy, so it was a bizarre thing. I, I took this class, uh, night classes in New York with the National Geographic Society, 
and like each week they would have one of their staff photographers come in and do a seminar and you know then we'd go out for drinks after whatever and this one guy was like missing a leg because he'd stepped on a landmine in el salvador i think and you know he'd been in rhodesia and just been in like every nasty situation and in the class i remember he told the story he said if you are a photojournalist you do not get involved if you get involved you're not a photojournalist you're there to to record and show the world to the best of your ability what's happening you're right. not there to affect what's happening and he told us this story about when he was in it was either the the tutsi hutu thing or maybe it was rhodesia i don't remember it was the lollipop wars right Oh, oh wow! Genocide jokes. They're Thank you. Whatever it is, I think I see it becomes a tootsie <laughs> roll. Team. All right, tootsie all right. Roll. Sorry, everybody. Go ahead. <laughs> tootsie rolls hacked to pieces. Um, they uh, anyway. He had been living with his family that like took him in, and you know, and he was staying with them, and they had these little beautiful daughters, and the people were really nice to him, and everything was great. And then all the shit hit the fan, and he was there. And the the opposing tribe came in, and they took these people out. And he's sitting there. He's he's at the house when they took them out. They didn't mess with him because he's obviously white. He's a foreigner. He's a journalist, whatever. And they tied their wrists and decapitated them in front of the house. And he photographed the whole. Thing. Whoa! Yeah. And he had been their friend. And he had been like ago. sleeping. You know, had dinner with them the night before. Yeah. Uh, that seems. See to me, that seems. Not that he could have. What could he have done? Yeah, stop these people. Right, he exactly. Have, right. But it doesn't seem. It uh, seems morally. There's wow. something. There's something sickening about it. Yeah. That wow. I couldn't. I know it was really intense. And then after, wow. I remember we went out for a drink, and we were, I was walking down like it was near Broadway. And we were walking down the street, and I said to him like, like that. That's really hard for me to get my head around. Like if if right now if you saw a woman getting raped in that alley, like you wouldn't do right. anything. You wouldn't call the cops. And he said, No, I take pictures if the light was okay. You're kidding. No. That's a bad person. Or a good surprise winning photojournalist. <laughs> good photo, but a good photographer. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest here. Yeah. Bad yeah. person, great photographer. Wait, yeah. he's got to be at work all the time? Yeah. You know? that's, yeah, that, yeah. What does that mean? Is he on all the time? Well, that's what he said. He said, if the light was good enough and I had my cameras, I'd take pictures. Oh. I guess maybe if not, he'd do something. I don't I'm know. sure the pictures would deter the raping. Okay. If there were flash. Now, now that's a silver lining. <laughs> yeah. Please, no flash photography yeah, in, yeah, the, in yeah. the alley. Or just yeah. like, I don't want to get caught. Yeah. Like that, you yeah. know, that oh, stuff. Man. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently, I guess some people are just like, there's a camera, but I'm still going to do something really <laughs> terrible. Yeah. What, what can I say? Listen. If you stop raping when someone's taking photos of you, you're not a rapist. You're not really committed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is terrible. Terrible. All right. Remember, uh, these are comedians. They're allowed to say things like that. They sort do of. it for a living. Sort of. It's not about except, particular people. It's a concept. Right. Except for <laughs> Kramer. Kramer a, got in trouble. I'm like, whoa, morally, that's terrible. Anyway, and here for my rape joke. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Here's the natural segue then. Is there something... Uh, in comedy that's somewhat similar to the translation you're interpreting you were doing in the sense that you are as a comedian you're you're presenting stuff to people that could make them uncomfortable could freak them out could offend them but you sort of have a you get a pass don't you as a comedian to a certain extent let's say to a diminishing extent to a diminishing every, every yeah. single it's day it's a tragedy every single blog every single day diminishes right. that that particular reality yeah because of the outrage uh, right everybody's so fucking offended on the right. internet right everybody is uh, what I think this guy 
there's some the CNN. I can't remember the guy's name. He's a comedian that writes for CNN, and he said something like, "Never have so many been so offended over so little." <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is the this is the season of of offense. Yeah. But it's interesting because like. You know, Reggie's a particularly, uh, like, absurdist comedian. So I thought you, you were going to say offensive. No, have you <laughs> feel like you've ever <laughs> offended anyone in a, in a show? I think, you know, when I sometimes would do songs like, like Fuck Shit Stack or, or something vulgarity. about fucking or whatever. But, I mean, you know, to me, I'm like, I think it's ridiculous and it's hilarious to, right. to be overly so, but, like, in an obvious way. But some people definitely have, although I am very surprised that, you know, one of the first times I did Fuck Shit Stack ever, it was just, like, something that came up in a It's con- a, one of Reggie's songs. One of your only sort of concrete songs, Yes, right? one of my very few concrete I think I've seen you do that. Songs. I, and I, as I say, this was all spontaneous, so I didn't have a chance to prep or no, anything. No, no prep needed. But I've seen you... <laughs> Somewhere, lots of times. There might have been and a I video. I think I might have saw, seen you do a, a rap thing. Yeah, f- like Fuck Shit Stack. It was like a video like song that was out for a while. It was it's, on Comedy It's Central. great. Everybody should find it online. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's a fuck shit stack. A, a fuck shit stack. But I mean, when I was doing that, it was like at this, it was in Portland, Oregon at a restaurant for a fundraiser um, dealing with something to do with uh, maybe the NEA or something like that or some kind of an arts funding <laughs> thing you pulled or whatever. That out. Nice. and they asked me to perform and I performed right. and I did that song and I was like fuck it I'll just do it yeah I did it and it was a lot, ton of silver haired like just grandmas and grandpas mixed with like you know aunts and uncles every age you could think of very few younger younger people but like so I did it and uh and just a lot of the old people were like, "That was wonderful. I really, really, really enjoyed." It. <laughs> ah, that's the best. And then, and then I remember. I think it was a, uh, oh yeah, Conan. Conan, I in Boston. Um, uh, I was there with Conan on tour, and after the show, I didn't put two and two together. I didn't think, oh, Conan's parents might be at the Boston uh-huh. show. Never thought that at sure. all. So I, when I went on, I did my thing, and it's like I did it. It was. You know, whatever. And then afterwards, I saw, I was like, oh, my God, that's Conan's parents backstage. And I was like, oh, shit. So then Conan was like, yo, let me introduce you to my dad. And so I met his dad. And his dad's like some badass teacher. I forget what he, I think, biology or something. Uh-huh. And um, and I immediately said, uh, I was like, yeah, sir, uh, that was nice, nice to meet you. And then his mother was there. I met her. And then I just said to her, I was like, I'm sorry if I said anything offensive or anything. She's like, oh, I. I just heard beautiful music. Fuck uh, <laughs> uh, Sack was translated. And, and I, was, and I was like, I was like, all right, cool. I mean, if yeah. Conan's parents, you know, they're pretty, you know, they're educated, but they're also pretty Catholic, you know. Like yeah, and they've had a comedian son for a long right. time. True, true. Yeah, that's you what I always say. I, I have a joke in my act about it, actually, about how absurd it is that we are so careful about language around older people specifically who have heard all the <laughs> know, language. Right. They have been inundated with everything. Yeah. They've done this already. Yeah. And some of the dudes were like in, in World War II or Vietnam or something. Yeah, totally. Like, oh, afraid I'm going to offend Well, that's actually guy. the joke. Is uh, I go, oh, sorry about the F word, Grandma. She's that's okay. I was raped by Nazis. <laughs> there is something yeah. to it. It's like, yeah, you're you know, right. We're the pussies. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. But yeah. I think what Reggie's talking about is interesting because I was thinking fuck shit stack would certainly offend certain crowds just based on vul- vulgar language alone. They would right. say, well, that's, that's unacceptable because sometimes you get a gig and they'll say you have to work clean. So for some people, the line in the sand is, is fuck. I, even though what yeah. Reggie's saying in fuck shit stack is 
there's nothing offensive in it. It's just it's it's, it's just words. It's just words. It's not right. like he's yeah. it doesn't have a victim. Right. Yeah. That's too much. And so and then everybody's got their particular decision on where the line is. Right. And therefore the line is uh, is it doesn't make sense. There is no oh, line. It's ridiculous. It's just an arbitrary decided. Well, this is that. Now we've gone too far. Oh no! Now we've gone too far. And for some people, the line it really exists interpersonally. Like there was all these right. bloggers when Daniel Tosh got in all this trouble for making rape, rape jokes. Thing, yeah. There was all these bloggers that were going. And that was, and this was I found so ridiculous. Was they were going, well, Louis C.K. does a rape joke, and that's okay because of who Louis is. But when Daniel Tosh does it, it's not okay. It's like just because you think Louis cool, like it doesn't. None yeah. of it. Like oh, oh, so the line is just your vibe on right. on, on yeah, a yeah. dude. You know, I right. trust this guy's rape jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This person's like, uncertified. He's gentle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that said, yeah. you know, it's like they're not wrong that rape jokes are or any or, or whatever race jokes are. are are over the line. They can be right. It's your line. Yeah, it's your right. line, and it right. doesn't. It doesn't. The idea really is: is should comedians be allowed to cross whatever line they want? There do whatever be they want. Con- there should be a constitutional amendment for comedy, right? <laughs> the First Amendment should apply to comedy. And, Absolutely, and, I think it and, does. And, and it does. It? Well, it does, but I mean, it should on a cultural level. Oh, I see. In other yes, words, yes, like a yeah. cultural if you're a comedian, amendment. Like you get paid to to do comedy, you mm-hmm. should be able to say anything you want. And like Ted invited Sarah Silverman a few years yeah. ago. Oh, I remember that. And this. they freaked out that she, you know, said some offensive shit about, ba- you know, whatever, babies, pubic hair. I don't remember what the fuck it was. Oh, yeah. But yeah like, you know, how joke. are you going to be offended by Sarah Silverman? If you are offended easily, you do not invite Sarah exactly. Silverman to your game. That's exactly yeah, right. Know? Yeah. It's not like she she was like all polite and everything and then whipped that shit out at the last minute. No. You know? It's it's a quick inner YouTube search and you'd be yeah, like, okay, right. so this is the range we're dealing with. Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, the best point that the blogger community has made about it, which is um, that everybody has, some people will say, everybody has a right to say, people that aren't really trying to police language, which many people are. But some people say everybody has a right to say whatever they want, and I have a right to react to it however I want, it, in, up to and including writing an offended blog about it. Right. The problem is that that um, it's become, in my opinion, the problem is that it's become, uh, and maybe this is better for society and worse for comedy. I've thought about that too. Like this might be good for the world and bad for my job. Uh-huh. Is that society seems to be slowly responding to the, you know, the 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 depths of, of self-righteous indignation online you know so slowly yeah. people are going oh you really can't say that like it really isn't as cool to say uh you know like like talk about retard say the word retarded that's how even though retarded to me actually it's a neutral word it is a neutral yeah, word you but, but say that, your distributor is retarded in, in a car right true. but that's slowly yep. being that's edged out of yeah. out of acceptance and i remember like i remember when and this is good for society i remember when i started comedy every comedian would say the word faggot for um, right. for comedic device, like right. I said it a few different times in my act, and it was pretty much exclusively people calling me a faggot, right, right. or me right. calling myself a faggot. Yeah, it's just historical reenactment. Yeah, and and so if I would think in my sort of in my mind that it was on the right side of justice, but doesn't matter. The word was in the act because it's a shock word, and people would react, and it would right. get a good laugh. Slowly, I noticed over the last five to seven years that audiences started reacting differently to the use of the word so usually you'd be yeah. when i first got to la you'd be at the ucb you'd say you'd, you'd do this punchline with the word faggot and people would, would be like ha, ha ha and then slowly it became a little bit more hmm. you know they're uncomfortable more uncomfortable so that means it's probably good it probably means that gay people are getting that slur thrown at them less in the streets but there is a weird barometer yeah do you yeah. think the hmm. origins of this in some way might be the racial stuff, you know? Like now everybody, people are saying the N-word, which sure. I find 
beyond ridiculous. The N word, the C word, the, like oh, what are we totally. in third grade? It's not just ridiculous; it's uh, di- it's confusing. Well, I, I read this article where yeah. they go, "Don't say the W word anymore." I'm like, like what, what, the fuck what is, is it? the W word? I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Exactly. And then they would say it would be it would, and they would go C star 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 the entire rest of the word. So I literally was like, <laughs> "I don't know what this must C, be." Cocksucker. Well, I'm not positive. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think if anything, I think like the sensitivity to all of that might invite a little bit more of a mindful usage of those words. Right. You know, I mean, I think because. Essentially, you need to kind of earn an audience's trust to be able yeah. to say "faggot" sure. or "fag," right, like right. to a certain degree, to, to specific audiences. But usually, like kind of ur- like urban or like city audiences, it's going to be a mixed audience, especially alt comedy. Um, again, there's that word, but I mean, generally, the audience is varied. Very a lot of nerds, um, like techno, techno uh, kind of anthropological pop culture underground subversive te- you know kind of all together sure. and then also just people love just whatever anyways my point is you have a mixed audience so they're sensitive to various things as a collective right. because it's kind of contagious right so when you when you use a word like that generally if there's if there's a if it really is a part of the story, you know, that yeah. you're telling or it's a part of that joke right. and they can sense it, usually it's fine. Right. Usually usually I've noticed it's fine. It's just they have to trust that you're the you're using it because that's what's needed for what you just said. And that's right, probably right, what right. the Louis C.K. apologist was talking about. Because he tends to, he likes, oh, I guess as all comedians do, he likes to go up to that edge. Mm-hmm. But he seems to do it in a way where he sort of, he... He lets you know before you get there that he's he's intentionally playing with the concept. He's not using it for sure. shock value. I mean, the joke, Louis' joke. Is, Which one? I'm going to tell you the oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The rape joke that he this person was referring to is: yeah. I would never have sex with a woman unless, of course. She wouldn't let me. Yeah, I would never rape a woman unless, of course, she wouldn't she let me have, have sex, sex with her. With me. Yeah. And then, yeah. what other choice do I have? Yeah. Now I get that there's there's satiri- there, it's all sat- satirical element. I mean, yeah. it, there's obviously a well, that's an absurd concept. Well, that's right. absurd. That of course you shouldn't do that. Implicit, but it was more this person saying, well, Louis is a person who's established himself as intelligent enough, right. to know that that satire and not just a shock value joke, right. which. I'm value neutral on any of these jokes. I just think, are they funny? Are people laughing? Right. Great. Then they're then they're successful at their job. The only job we have as comedians is to make people laugh. Like I don't I don't see a qualitative difference between Reggie and Doug Stanhope. You know, both of these people are comedians. Doug is destroying society with every set, and Reggie's like making soundscapes and using absurdity. Are people laughing? Great. Then, yes. then they're both, exactly. then they're both the A plus at their job. Exactly. Like, so is there a hierarchy exactly. within comedy of where the laughs come from? Like we were talking about Andy Kaufman earlier. I, I think it I think it really depends on the on the cle- I mean, like, you know, going back to that rape joke, it's a very clever joke. Yeah. It's very clever sure. because it makes you think. It, of it, what the rapist is thinking. Yeah, or the idea himself. of rape. It's yeah. like if if someone, you know, if someone's like, I'll let you like for instance <laughs> it's you're like right. well, what does that mean it's yeah. like was well, there's like a role playing thing happening there's like a fantasy thing happening whatever yeah. it's like yeah. yeah there are many different versions of that but but i think i think it's just about like you know when you're watching your friends perform at a festival which is probably one of my favorite things about doing festivals like being on a lineup and you know like 80% of the people on the lineup right. and you're like oh this is going to be dope that must be great. and 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 it's nice to like you'll just see people being really smart like yeah. you know sarah talks about some pretty base 
yeah. uh, polarizing things. But she's so incredibly intelligent. She yeah. always twists it. Mm-hmm. She just twists <laughs> it in just the right yeah, way. Yeah. And then there's that beautiful smile. Yeah, yeah. yeah her you know? persona mixed <laughs> totally. with that brand yeah. of humor is such an explosive yeah, combination. Because she's basically that smile saying, Aren't we I are sweet? a bunch of absurd motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And we have double standards. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. There's, <laughs> there's, and there's this idea, I think, and people love to bandy about that being dirty is easy. And right. being clean is sophisticated. Uh. So if you're dirty, that's lesser. But <clears throat> there are clean comedians out there that are so fucking hacky and awful because right. they're you know it's like ch- you know church comedy. And then there are dirty comedians out there that are so fucking sophisticated. Somebody mm. like Jim Norton or or Bill Stanhope or Bill right. Yeah. And then vice versa. Jesselnick. Then vice versa. There's yeah. dirty comedians that are just like oh, okay, pussy juice. Right. Yeah, ten four. You know. Yeah. And then not that I don't talk about pussy juice. But I've got a pussy it's juice how joke. You talk I got a big time pussy well, juice. Let's hear joke. it. Come on. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, I mean, it's a whole long thing, but, <laughs> but it does involve women shooting out of their chairs based on the floor. <laughs> Ejaculate because, Old faithful be, because of me, how sexy I am to Yo. them, and so they're like floating above, and I say like there are little black little black girls dancing around it like a fire hydrant broke on a hot summer day in Harlem. Like Lee movie. And so don't think that I'm 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 not above any kind of a joke. But that's, that's amazing. And then there's clean comedians like you know that's Seinfeld and Brian Regan who are like the greatest comedians. So there yeah. is no the only thing is are you are people laughing and are you are you shitty and shitty yeah. is a real. That's right. just arbit- arbitrary. Is it original? Yeah. Is it pushing some envelope? Right. This is what yeah. I was, this is what I was thinking though. There is an argument to be made by somebody who says, "I don't care about comedy." Right. That's not important in the <laughs> face of the fact that you know one in four or five women are being sexually assaulted every year. Who cares about comedy? That's unimportant uh, compared to. So I want. You don't think it's fair to censor comedy? Maybe it isn't, but what's much more important to me is that we end whatever rape culture is. True, right? and you can't really argue with that. Well, yeah, you can. Well, well let all... me give it a shot. <laughs> that, Please, that yes. by white sen- <laughs> the man, white male, white man speaks. Go. <laughs> <laughs> it's my goddamn microphone. Uh, the the uh, you know censoring a discussion of something doesn't make it go away. It just makes it seem to go away. I agree. And with in that. fact, you create a dark space a dark alley in the mind where that shit happens mm-hmm. and it's yeah. much better to illuminate all these dark shadows and uh, we were talking about Duncan earlier last time I, I hung out with Duncan he said he called me a, a shame exorcist uh-huh. right and it's like I'm, it's on my business cards now it's like that's right. me. And, and you know and not that there shouldn't be shame associated with rape but that by talking about shit bringing it into the open that's how we affect social change not right. by shying away from it not using you know racial epithets i'm not saying white people should use them hurtfully but yeah. i'm saying what louis ck says about the n word he mm-hmm. says you say the n word what you just did was you made me say nigger in my head uh-huh. yeah. if you yeah. want to say it you fucking say it uh-huh. yeah. you know <laughs> don't make me say it the and then surrogate. you run away yeah, yeah that's yeah, funny. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, like loopholes yeah it makes it easy to like get around shit and thereby allow it to continue to exist. Right. The question yeah. is really, do you, yeah, you can just say, well, I reject, I, I, I re-reject mm-hmm. the idea that joking about rape or joking about racism or joking about child molestation, whatever thing, I reject that that actually co- creates a culture I, right. that, where that is proliferated. I no, don't I think, the opposite. I, yeah, exactly. You yeah. Can, yeah. You, you, that is the counter argument. But uh, all I was saying was like, uh, my point is, as a comedian, I remember... Patrice O'Neill was on this uh, CNN show or Fox News show once. And Patrice O'Neill, for those of you who don't know, is like one of the greatest ever. But also... Did he die recently? He died, yeah. yeah. Also, just a piece of garbage. Really? I mean, in terms of the 
content. I mean, oh, his the, whole show is just women are awful. I mean, right. and it wasn't like, haha, just kidding. It was like, no. Like, I would always yeah. say he was such an effective comedian. He would have women at the end of their of his show going, "Yeah, we aren't shit. Oh, we? we're the worst." <laughs> it's like, but he goes, and so he's very offensive, just very the top level of offensive. And he was on this uh, this show, and he just goes, "This woman's like, this like sort of feminist lawyer or something was like, well, this kind of thing has to stop. You have to be on the side of justice." And he just said so simply, "Oh, I'm on the side of funny. That's all I care about. Right. I'm on the side of funny." And I kind of agree with that in my rest of my personal life yeah. I, I can be a, a champion of justice but when it comes to my job yeah i just want to make people laugh have you heard the the um <laughs> oh shit i can't remember names uh, uh who's the guy who had the the best-selling comedy central thing and then walked away oh Chappelle. Dave oh, Chappelle, Chappelle, yeah, right yeah. dave Chappelle talking about the seinfeld guy who got in trouble with the racist oh, oh right right, right. Oh, michael yeah, great joke uh, yeah. what's his name michael uh, oh it was well, it's kramer Jesus. it's uh, yeah it's, kramer uh, michael Richards, Michael, Michael Richards, Richards, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know the joke. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's a great joke. He says, uh, "I mean, all right." He says, um, "I realized watching Kramer on stage that I was like 90 percent comedian, 10 percent black guy, because 10 percent of me was like, how dare he say such a thing? This is a terrible thing to say.' But 90 percent of me was like, mm, this nigga's having a bad set.' <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And talking about bad words, it's funny. Like you were saying, how the line moves. Now, I'm probably 20 years older than you guys, but I remember when if you said someone or something sucked, that meant it sucked cock. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you would never say that uh-huh. in public, right? Yeah. That would be like you saying it, you know, it gets ass fucked or something. Yeah. It was on that level of offensiveness. Right. And now everything sucks. I, you totally. fucking Rachel Maddow <laughs> says, you know, so and so sucks. And like, what? What? Yeah. Now that's like yeah. you guys forget or, what that means. Or even even better, it's just like, oh my god, it likes like says someone's little sister's crying, and the older sister comes in. It's like, what's wrong? It's like, I just you know I just didn't do well on this test, and I have some expectations. Like, oh gosh, that really sucks. Yeah. Totally, <laughs> you're like six year old. Totally true. Doesn't that wow, suck? That totally yeah. sucks. A huge cock, doesn't it? Oh, honey, that sucks. Dear, dick. <laughs> Or you go back and watch Eddie Murphy's old stand. It was like my favorite of all time. You go back and watch Eddie Murphy's like Raw or Delirious, whichever one was early. It's just like, now how many of you are faggots? Faggots, oh man, a faggot. I mean, it's just, it's not even like that little clever turn of like, it's just like, oh, I mean, and he he could just never say say those. Everybody's just like, I mean, everybody loves it. And he's wearing a red latex jumpsuit. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, you know, it's like it's. I guess there's this. There's this. There's this thing. This. This comfortable. Like so, when you're comfortable on stage and people read that as comfortable in the audience, yeah. And then they know it's comedy. They already already broaden their uh, their expectations. Right. The expectation. Uh, the bandwidth is increased immediately. Yeah. So they're like trying to be open minded. Other people go the other way. They're like trying to find like. Why would they go to a comedy show? They're those people, you know. You know, I'm talking about. There's like cat, cats in the audience that are just like not having it. Oh yeah, but they're still sure. there. Yeah. yeah, they're like the trolls. Same thing as the trolls, trolls. on on. But on, they on pay forums. money yes. to go in there and not laugh. Basically, yeah. yeah. Or the best person, the best character of all in in comedy audience is the character that it, it's like you know the comedian gets on stage and he's like Jews are cheap and he's like bah, ha, ha, ha. Mexicans are lazy bah, ha, ha, ha. black people are criminals bah, ha, ha, ha. Asians can't drive I'm Asian fuck you you know what I mean it's like that person you. exists yeah. and go, yeah. you can't say that about Asians but you've been sitting here for forty minutes while we took everybody else was was talked about well that yeah. was okay yeah. yeah that wasn't me well I mean you know I think that also that idea that tab 
taboo thing, like talking about the 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 rape joke, like you know, and suppressing it, and then causing that dark space as you were talking about. I think there's an element of like when people laugh about something. I think if there's a relatively ambient good naturedness behind all of it, why the joke's even happening, why people are laughing about it. It does offer someone who uh, is in a particular victim role or close to it or affected by it to kind of zoom out and see it in a different perspective. Right. And like that, that ability to see something from a different perspective is really the most powerful tool that any human being ha- possesses. Possibly the only tool yeah. we possess. <laughs> True. You True. know what I mean? True, yeah. And the whole Buddhist line that uh, uh, pain is mandatory in life but suffering is optional right you know it's like all Love you it. can choose is how you're going to deal with the shit that, that comes that's out. it yeah that's it and then when you when you laugh you know i always think of it as like uh, laughing is kind of like a, a paradox you know it's like the comedian says here's a blah 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 and then here's the subversion of the expectation and they pulled it back just far enough it's a really great joke and it collides in the middle and it annihilates. And in that moment, everybody feels that paradoxical feeling, yeah. the irony. And they're just suddenly laughing. And in that moment, kind of everybody is a, a slight genius yeah. in well, that moment. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I was good, just good way to put it. listening to this, uh, I think it was Radiolab <laughs> this week, about laughter. And I oh, guess it yeah. was Socrates. I think it was Socrates that was saying, like, really what differentiates the human from the other animal, in his opinion, is... The is laughter because mm. we're the only animals that laugh, like amused, uh, are amused and and laugh out loud. Yeah. And so he was saying, like, the soul enters the body upon the first laugh, which I think is probably spurious science. But <laughs> but there is something that sort of we you know weaves all this together is like you know it's like entertainment and 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 then what we were talking about at first is the kind of um, the perversion, and I don't mean that negatively of yeah. sexuality like what we we have decided that 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 you know communication is more than just i need that food it's oh this dude's yeah. telling a joke ha ha good ha. example and yeah. sex is more than just i need to make a baby but right. i like having my butt licked or <laughs> whatever right, thing right. it is like right. we've taken it and sort of elevated it into this abstracted weird kind of human area art Art, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, or food that isn't just you know kill your hunger. Exactly. It's a souffle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. It looks beautiful. It tastes beautiful. And yeah. that is in a way yep. what makes us humans, right? Is like that we want this. Ex- we we've added this. We've used. We've applied our brains to all of the impulses of humanity. So we and say, we can't help it. Right. Yeah. Because that is our. Yeah, impulse. that's true. <laughs> that yeah. in fact is our impulse. Yeah. So in that way, the biological imperative of homosexuality. Or sexuality in it's general. to make us laugh. <laughs> well, it's, it's, <laughs> there's a biological imperative to all things that that we do that, that are maybe difficult to find the, the evolutionary imperative because our evolutionary imperative is to sophisticate things with our brain. And it's make to them, have a good fucking time. To have a good time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kurt Vonnegut said, we're put here on Earth to fart around and don't let anyone tell you any different. Yeah. 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 <laughs> By the way, there are other animals that laugh. Oh, uh, what are they? Re- laugh research. from amusement? Besides well, hyenas. Yeah. Um, they've actually found rats laugh if you tickle them. Really? That's yeah. right. I heard about yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, bonobos and chimps both laugh when they're playing. Now bonobos are the straight. Up, uh, bonobos are the, are the are the humans of of they're uh, the closest of primates. Thing, right? I mean, they love to fuck, right? Don't chimps they? and bonobos are equidistant from humans. But yeah. no, wait, but aren't but bonobos seem more culturally connected to us because they well, they, that's they the argument pleasure, that we make right? in Sex at Dawn. Uh, so do so do chimps. Uh-huh. Chimps have sex through about forty percent of the female's menstrual cycle. Bonobos through about ninety percent, and humans hundred percent. 
Um, so that's really the metric is how much of the female's uh, menstrual cycle are, is sex happening when she can't possibly conceive. Right. Uh-huh. That's how you know it's non-reproductive. Interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. But what's interesting about bonobos, and this is probably what you're referring to, is that they have sex in every possible combination. Lots of same-sex interactions. Uh, every combination except mother-son. Oh, wow. Which makes me think that motherfucker is the oldest offensive. <laughs> it, it predates language, <laughs> nice. actually. Nice. You know? nice. Originally, it was just, <laughs> Oh, yeah. You don't you ever say that about me? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. But, but father daughter, father daughter, brother brother, brother sister, you know everything. But not mother, not mother son. But interestingly, oh, mother daughter, sure, Weird. yeah. Uh, but the mother son relationship is um, estimated by experts to be the most important relationship in all of the bonobo society. In fact, the bonobos are are sort of female dominated. Uh, although they they exercise dominance in a in a more um, cooperative friendly way than males do, but it's uh, female dominated, and the male's position in the male hierarchy is determined by where his mother is or was in the female hierarchy. I see. So if if your mother was really respected and loved, even if she's dead, right, you're in a very high point in the male hierarchy even if you're like not a badass male you don't you know you're not big or strong or whatever you just out of the honor that accrued to your mother you're in a high position it's It's a really interesting species well do you do you yeah it is very royal Mm -hmm. yeah i agree which is shitty well but it's (laughs) in human society right the idea of like you're born into privilege because of some Right, absolutely but meaningless. The funny thing mm-hmm. is, they, they share food. They share, mm-hmm. uh, and they're not. No bonobo has ever been witnessed to kill or or rape another bonobo. Oh, really? So, yeah. So they're they. Franz Duval, the the great Dutch primatologist who studied them more than anyone probably, said that um, chimps use violence to get sex, whereas uh, bonobos use sex to avoid violence. Mm. Oh, so we are. Mm. So now we figured out what we evolved from. Well, it's chimps. <laughs> Very clearly, we we've gone the chimp well, way. Well, some seem to have come from chimps, and some from oh, right. bonobos, yeah. right? I mean, there's a lot. It's a very interesting debate about human violence, and you know, I, I've gotten into it a bit with Steven Pinker and, and other people on that side who are arguing that, that what I call the neo-Hobbesian view that you know, human life without the state is nasty, brutish, and short. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I argue the opposite that humans by and large, seem to be very averse to violence. And, and you, know, in, you know, people are talking about this thing that happened in Boston, right? The, the people run toward the bomb, and they're like strangers holding a guy's arteries closed, you know, like risking their own lives to be there. That kind of stuff happens all the time. And nobody is suffering from PTSD because they helped a stranger, right? But there are a lot of right. people suffering because they hurt a stranger. Yeah, That's, interesting. So to me, that skews it more toward the bonobo side. That's interesting. But, yeah. So it's a more of a benevolent society. Uh-huh. Thank you. Actually, I was going to say, I go, you go with the Neo-Hobbesian theory. I, I'm more on the Neo-Calvinist theory, which is that Hobbes was just a big stuffed tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Oh, man. That's good. Neo-Calvian. <laughs> I mean, that, okay, that that's, cuts in well, five we, different ways. Well, we did it. I, you know, I had a qu- I had a question, uh, if, if I may. Yeah, sure. Um, freewheeling. I got one too. When you're done. <laughs> free free wheelie, free wheelie. Um No, I uh, I just you know it's funny when I was in my younger days, um, I had been like pretty much monogamous, 
but then I kind of went into this mode where I was like, what's polyamory about? You know, and uh, and then I was really good friends, still am, with uh, a lesbian friend of mine, kind of a femme lesbian. And, um, and then her friend who was bisexual. And we would hang out. We never did anything with each other, but we'd hang out a lot. And we all talked about polyamory. And I was like, okay. And I never went the full way because the full way is really to be hyper-communicative about what it is that you're doing. Right. At least this is in my mind. I was more like, I'll just be with a lot of different people and they'll kind of ambiently know that. Uh, and, that and, sounds like, yeah, right. That and, sounds like my style. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, and nothing will ever concretize. And at some point, uh, one of them will probably get into a relationship and someone else may run into a different situation or whatever. But you just kind of keep swimming sure. around. So, but then I hear about, and then I run into a friend of mine who was married but has an open marriage. Um, and uh, they managed to rock it out for like 10 years or something like that. But then it got to a point where something, some wires were crossed and uh, it was too too much damage to repair, at uh-huh. least to, to one of them. Like one of them fell for someone else or something yeah, like that? Yeah, right. yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and that, you know. So anyways, so that that ended. And so basically the question is the formalization of the urges that we have and how we express them, whether with one partner or multiple partners, doesn't seem to be a very efficient way of maintaining a long-term health and longevity. I don't know. Relationship. relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh yeah like the formalization of it but are you saying both things both i'm saying both and i'm saying saying that you're polyamorous or that you have an open arrangement all of those like form because that's a form that's definitely formalized in my mind just saying it saying it outwardly or describing it to a friend in that way is a you know formalization so i don't know it's just an interesting question to me because i've i know people i've kind of experimented but in the end the formalization seems to decrease the lifespan of its Right, well, that's what you and I were talking about this morning is like both systems seem so flawed. When you are polyamorous and open, you run the risk of people's feelings getting hurt or people getting, uh, you know... Possessive. Possessive. And then if you're monogamous, you are suppressing your desire. So they both seem very... They both seem very flawed, like very flawed systems. Yeah. What's the question? The question uh, is... What do we do? <laughs> how do ob- we get How do we get laid? Those are observations. And, uh, I mean, the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is when uh, when I am thinking or, or writing or talking about polyamory or open relationships or swingers or whatever, I think it's important to always make sure that if you're doing some sort of comparison of you know relationship stability or satisfaction or whatever, mm-hmm. that you're comparing it not to an ideal, but to the reality of the way most people live. Which is mm-hmm. monogamy with cheating, right? You know, most. I would say most of the people. Yeah, yeah. they. The, what is it? The last survey I read was sixty some percent of women and eighty some percent of men said they'd had an affair. Well, that's what we were saying. All, oh, right, with cheating, that's the third option. Then there's deceit. So each of them has this inbred yeah. negative right part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if fifty percent of parachutes didn't open, I think we'd be redesigning <laughs> parachutes, uh-huh. right? You know. <laughs> sure. 
And, you know, if you're comparing hang gliding to parachuting, but 50% of parachutes fail, that's different from saying, hey, hang gliding's dangerous. It is. Yeah. So I would say, you know, okay, your, your friends that you, your example, they, their relationship lasted about 10 years. Mm. So you can say, okay, 10 years, that's, you know, that's a good chunk of time. Yeah, it's a huge chunk. And how happy were they for those 10 years? Right. How intimate were they? Compared to uh, you know straight up monogamous relationship, I kind of see in some ways monogamy uh, as like what we were saying about don't make the rape jokes, mm-hmm. don't talk about racism, don't you know? Because mm-hmm. in a lot of monogamous relationships, part of being monogamous is not copping to the reality of what you're feeling because mm-hmm. it's too scary. So that's some people say, you know, if you look at porn, that's cheating. Right. If you think of someone else when we're having sex, that's cheating. If you like check out that guy who just walked by, that's cheating. Right. You know what I mean? So if you're at that level of monogamy, to me, that's bullshit. Oh, I mean, at that level, that seems. Now, now, a, a couple who talk openly about what their experiences are and what they're feeling and who they're attracted to and all that and say, but you know what? We're not going to fuck anyone else. We mm. both agree, openly agree. We're not. I'm not being, you know, horn uh, oh, shoehorned well. into it because you want to have kids and I don't. And you know what I mean. If yeah. if if it's entered into equally and openly, then I don't see one form being any better than any other. It's just what works, you right. know, for you. Right. And five or ten years from now, something else might work. Yeah. So to me, the key element of a relationship is the honesty and the flexibility to change as you do. I mean, I've been with Casilda, my wife, for 15 years. I was just talking with someone about this earlier, and, and they were like, man, 50, I can't imagine 15 years. And my parents have been married 52 years. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think it's like if you go into a relationship thinking you're going to have that one relationship for 15 or 50 years or whatever, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. What you're going to have is a series of relationships with the same person. And the same person only biologically, you know, and even then, you know, every seven years, all the cells yeah, change. Rejuvenate. Yeah. Yeah. So it's certainly in terms of personality and experience, you're not the same person. You get older, you change, you're sick, you're healthy, you're menopause, you know, you divorce, you know, whatever. I mean, all these, you go through these things that change you. Wow. You- so, yeah, I'm not an advocate for polyamory or swinging or mono- what I say in my, you know, when I do interviews and stuff, I say that, um, Monogamy is like vegetarianism, right? It doesn't come naturally to our species. It's an uphill path, but it's certainly a legitimate path. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an ethical path and a healthy path and all that if, mm-hmm. if it works for you. Well, you but just because you've decided to be a vegetarian doesn't mean bacon stops smelling good. Right, right. right. So you got to incorporate right. yeah. that. But in getting yep. back to what we were saying before about the fact that we as humans have created, what, what we do is create value and systems of, sophistication mm. then it's not biological i mean but in the same argument it can't, it's not really biologically flawed to be monogamous because we've decided to be monogamous with our biological evolutionary brains except for the fact that the common thread in all those other things we talked about food and comedy and music and all these other things that we've made intelligent and made mm. satisfying in an intelligent way is variety oh that's interesting and so I think because we are mm. both, you know, just as a species, like bonobos and chimps are also, a, all primates actually are very much attracted to novel partners. Uh-huh. It, like macaques. If you put a new male macaque into a troop, all the females will want to fuck him. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, his name is macaque. Yeah. I mean, it's what a are cool you going to do? That's yeah. pretty rad. Yeah. <laughs> If you go, yeah, if you go to certain macaque. neighborhoods in New York or Boston, you say macaque, they'll be the same thing. <laughs> Remember like, that that guy yeah, yeah. running for Senate got 
bounced because he said something macacas here. Uh-huh. He was talking. There was a oh, Pakistani guy, and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> Mr. Macacas here." Yeah. So oh. yeah. So, but anyway, they'll they'll all go for this new male just because right. he's new, right? Totally. You know? um, so I think that that argues for a more you know more variety. It's you know a lot of people say it's like yeah, long term monogamy to me is like telling me I can only eat Italian food the rest of my life, right? You know. But then why have a relationship at all? Because we also crave depth and longevity and security and you know especially if we want to have kids and all that shit you know so you need that so the problem is in the value that we place on being faithful to the person that we have the depth based relationship with that in other words we say go sex that isn't with that person will sully that the depth. Right. Well, that's what polyamorous would say. They say generally polyamorous have one primary relationship and yeah. then they have secondary relationships. And what they say is, look, we do the same thing everyone else does. We just don't lie about it. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, OK, I've got my partner. We've got our kids. We've got our house. We've got our whatever, you know. And but we accept the fact that we'll both be attracted to other people. And what they're trying to do is you know the concept zero-sum thinking or zero-sum transactions mm-hmm. the idea is like there's a certain amount of water to drink so if i drink more there's less for you mm-hmm. right but a non-zero-sum transaction says well actually the water comes from the rain there's plenty of water there's no reason to uh-huh. think that way so mm-hmm. do you look at love as a zero-sum thing where if if you love her then you must love your wife less Right. Or do you look at it as, uh, you know, fire? You can spread it and grow it and kindle yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So it's weird that all other aspects of our lives, whether it be friends or kids or dogs or whatever, there's plenty of love to go around. You don't say she loves her kids half as much because she has two and she only has one kid, so uh-huh. she loves that kid twice as much. You know? Right. We don't think of it that way. Right. But for some reason in our sexual intimate relationships, we do, largely. That's really yeah. interesting. I think I think the thing about the communication, like you know, because because uh, I, I, you know, I, I've definitely been in all manner of style of relationship, and a lot of them were based off of a kind of a romantic ideal that I was mm. kind of replicating in some, right. in some fashion. But as of late, um, I definitely value the idea of I'm with someone now that's had a very op- larger experiential path with who she is, and so. Um, when we talk about things, she's, she speaks about things very openly about like attractions and how she's felt and how she feels and, and all these things. And, and I'm naturally, naturally reciprocating that right being. And so far it really just feels like, Oh wow. I don't know. It feels like it's like, like nothing in a, in a weird way. Like it feels amazing, but it also, it's just happening. Yeah. And she's experiencing things and I'm experiencing life in the way I am. And we definitely have an intent, intense bond with one another, but we also recognize each other's space right. to just kind of exist and trust in that in whatever, whatever that means. Right. And I think for a lot of people that what you just described is the essence of intimacy. And so if you found someone you can share that with, even if you're having sex with someone else you're much less likely to leave that because that is much harder to find than sex. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. You know? That's right. And sexual sure. attraction 
is it's true. You know, is, is something that comes and goes. It dissipates really quickly because a lot of it's based on novelty. You know, the newness. Yeah, and that goes. No one can yep. can hold the newness. So I think we have a very childish understanding of relationships in our society that's encouraged by you know all this baby baby you're the only one bullshit. Right, right, right. And Hallmark cards. Yeah, and uh, and people are are constantly disappointed in their relationships because. They're led to believe that that initial rush of endorphins is the essence of love. And so right. when that dissipates, there's something wrong. Right. right. You've fall, you fallen out of love. Yeah. It's run out. Right. Exactly. But you still have that depth of connection. I mean, who is it? Right. I'm Scott Peck. Is that Road Less Traveled? Yeah. He has so. this idea in there that like what people say when they, when they say, I want love, is they, they're really saying, I want the feeling of being in love. Which is not love, but in fact is more like something more like lust. It's more like chemicals that you can't. You're like, oh fuck, I want to yeah. eat that person alive. Yeah, it's a rush. And what love is is uh, he doesn't explicitly say this. He says something more like wanting for that person spiritual well-being above all things. But what's left mm. at the end of that? That's beautiful. You know, what's left after that goes away. Then you go, oh, I just I yeah. I, I care about this person. But my question is like, well, how do you keep fucking the person, the primary, if what you want is novelty? then how do you continue to have sexual desire for the primary? Well, different people would answer that in in lots of different ways. I think one of the answers you would get is that by having more variety in the erotic life, that uh, increases the lifespan of that initial attraction. Uh Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, think about how different it is to be with someone where you've got to pretend you're not attracted to anyone else versus uh-huh. someone where you can, you know, say, damn, that, you know, yeah. the next door neighbor's really hot. Wouldn't you like to, you know, and you yeah. can bring that whole fantasy into your own erotic life. You right. can share it, you know, or maybe the neighbor herself can come over occasionally and you can share, you know, sure. a third party or something, which, yeah. which also people, you know, swingers, surveys that have been done of swingers show much higher, significantly higher relationship satisfaction uh-huh. than for typical monogamous couples. Interesting. You know, and one of the reasons I think is that, you know, the whole reason you're with this person is to share your life with them. And if your erotic life is a very large part of your experience and you're not sharing that you have with a shell person, over two thirds of it yeah or something. exactly <laughs> like you're down in the basement jerking off at night when she's in the shower like well what you know what yeah. is that you know yeah that's interesting well my my next question though is is there any uh, i was gonna say gender but i think because i think in some degree genders there's gender splits but i, I don't think it works all the time sometimes there are women that are more like prototypical men and sure both. But when there's one partner, let's say, that like men, I would say, are more likely to be like this. I can fuck anyone. I don't need to even like them. You know what I mean? Like I, I can, if they're hot and I find them like hot, you know, they can be offensive to me and I can still get turned on and want to fuck them. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I would say many women that I know, though not every woman, I would say certainly my girlfriend is, a, uh, is someone who goes, how could you ever fuck a person that you don't just at least have like a connection with I think is... It, you know, stimulating intellectually and and is cool. Like, so it's like this very divergent kind of sexuality and desire for. So for I always think if I was if I was in an open relationship, I would get so much more out of it than my girlfriend because I would just be like, "Well, wow, this is great. I just fuck you and you and you and she'd be like, I don't. Why would I want to do that? Like, I've no. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything to that? I mean, do you, well, do you reject that idea? No, no. I think a lot of that is cultural. 
All right, we talk in Sexaton, we talk about a society in southwestern China called the Mosuo Mm -hmm. that have a very interesting understanding of family and and sexuality. They they believe that, uh, they say that um, love is like the seasons. It comes and goes, you can't control it. And there's sexual partners should never live together because they just yell and scream and fuck everything up, right? Mm -hmm. So what they say is the way they live, and they've been like this for centuries, they've they've been, in fact, Marco Polo stayed with them on his trip when he wrote about Uh them. Um, The way they arrange things is the the daughters live in the mother's house, uh, a house built around a courtyard, and when the daughters reach sexual maturity, they get their own bedroom called the flower room, and it has a door that opens into the courtyard, but it has another door that opens into the street, and so the girl can have anyone she wants spend the night with her. A different guy every night, two guys in one night, whatever. Uh, it's her business. Nobody gossips about other people's sex lives. And then when she gets pregnant, the responsibility to take care of the child falls to her, her sisters, and her brothers. The biological wow. father has no role to play at all. Nothing. Nothing. His role is to take care of his sister's kids. Wow. Right? So that that leaves everyone free to do what they want. And that's effectively happening today? It's been happening for centuries, despite the fact that the Chinese have gone to great lengths to stamp it out and try to impose conventional relationships on them, and they've, they've rebelled. They've gone to the extent of starving them into marriage. Well, right. I mean, did you read that, um, that Under the Banner of Heaven? The Mormon book by, uh, oh, by John Krakauer. No, I never did you read, read that. Uh-uh. It's just like this whole thing. I mean, look, Mormons are odd people to me, but the, the government's, the U.S. government's response to their desire to be uh, polygamous is so crazy. It's like violent and warlike. Like they're yeah. like, we, we didn't just not, we weren't just not into it. We were like, we have to kill them or make them. Co-. And then I think, yeah. who cares if people get married to Why multiple? Why are you so insecure? Yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Really yeah, so uh, in that in the most well society, the women have as many lovers as the men do, on average, uh-huh. right? And and also like they, I read a guy who wrote his doctoral dissertation about the society, and he sort of ranked them like you know maximum lovers to minimum lovers, and the women and men had about the same numbers, a couple hundred mm-hmm. or something. Um, so I think you know if you take away tens of uh, ten thousand years of slut shaming, right? Then you might get a different. For sure you, you know, would, but would, yeah. but do you think, my question is, I, there's no question that sexuality has been, you know, informed by patriarchal, sl- yeah, slut shaming. Right. If you took it all away, do you think everybody would be equal? It's, not equal, I, and not the same. The same is what I meant. Not but equal, yeah. women will always be more variable, and, and one of the other things you want to look at when you're talking to women is, whether you're doing a survey or just chatting with your girlfriend, is where is she in her menstrual cycle? Because a woman's response to casual, an opportunity for casual sex changes radically whether she's wow. ovulating or not. That's fascinating. What type of man she's likely to be interested in. Women who are ovulating wear more perfume, more jewelry, sexier clothing, more likely to go out by themselves, more likely to have unprotected sex, more likely to have sex with a stranger. That's like it's all very documented. And, you know, and there's no question. I was just uh, talking with a friend earlier. She was talking about the, the hassle of menstruating and all that. And, you know, we were talking about birth control that removes menstruation completely mm. from the picture. Mm-hmm. Oh. And she said, the thing about that, like, I'd, I'd love to not menstruate, but the problem would be I wouldn't ovulate either. 
which would mean I wouldn't have those days where every man was just like so stumbling over himself. Nice. And like she can tell, she's ovulating, dudes act differently. Oh, they her. act differently to her and not yeah. just vice versa. That's right. really fascinating. No, she's like, everyone's opening the door for me. Everyone's got a smile. Even women are complimenting me. And I know I'm ovulating. And that's everyone's picking it up. You so know? That's, that's interesting. When you're in a relationship with a woman, you should say, when she's looking particularly beautiful, you'd be like, are you in your fucking period? <laughs> That women like that, right? Oh, no, they Because you look that. beautiful. They That's what I'm have. saying. Not like yeah. you're in a bad mood, but yeah. you, just, you look gorgeous. That's what I was saying, honey. <laughs> you just look beautiful. No, wait you. a minute. Ovulating is not when she's on her period. What? Right? I, I can't oh, get into that. I can't get into that, dog. What? I don't even know what y'all are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the period's the opposite. It's getting rid of that shit. Yeah, yeah. That's really, really fascinating. Yeah, ovulating's like the other side, right? It's basically the other side of the cycle, right? Ovulating, a woman ovulates, human human beings have a menstrual cycle of about 30, 30 to 32 days, depending yeah. on the woman. And uh, so a woman generally ovulates about 15 days after she menstruates. Gotcha. So that's the you know, mid-cycle. And then two weeks after that, she'd menstruate again. Okay. And ovulation, the egg is in the, the tube, the fallopian tube, a uh, few days, and sperm can last a few days. So, you know, there's like a, a five to seven day danger period if yeah. you're trying to avoid pregnancy. Yeah. Gotcha. So women change a lot. Now, here's another thing. I lived in this mansion in Barcelona for three years where everyone who lived there was a fashion model except me. Right, mm-hmm. so I was the ugly dude in the house. I've and heard about like, this before. You told me about this last I tell time. You about this? Yeah. So it was Melrose Place, right? Yeah. And I used to go out because I, I hung out with some of the, the models, the dudes, and I used to go out with these guys. And man, I saw female behavior that I had no idea existed. Like walk into a bar, and the women would just like shh, come right over to these dudes, like, "Hey, how you doing? Can I? What are you drinking? Can I get that for you? You know, like." The opposite. It was opposite world. Wow. You know? Yeah. Like these guys live in a strip bar. That's what uh-huh. reality is like for them. <laughs> you know. You know. And of course George Clooney or whatever. But these these guys aren't famous. They're just that good looking. Yes. It was just looks. Well, right. Just, and things like that are bad for you. And some. And that's why child stars are like these perverted little creatures. Is because. You know, somebody spent their entire lives yeah. going just like, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Of course, Justin. Yes, you're brilliant. <laughs> somebody just to pick me, a name at a random. Somebody was telling me a story last yeah. night where he was serving Britney Spears at a restaurant. And she goes. Bieber was? No, this person is telling oh, me a story that Britney Spears was, on, was, <laughs> at, was at uh, a hotel and he was serving her. Uh-huh. And he brought her some coffee and she goes, could you put some of that white stuff in it? And she, he was like, what? You mean sugar? She's like, no, that white stuff. He's like, cream? He's like, yeah, yeah. Could you put some of that white stuff in here? And then he was like, okay. And he poured the cream in the coffee. And all right, that's a great story that she called it that white stuff. But even more fascinating is that she lives in such a manner that she, people do so much for her that it made sense for her to ask a person to lift up a cream thing and go, Bloop, instead of her just reaching over and doing that shit herself. Right. Like, and calling it that, that white, white stuff. stuff. Yeah. And that's like that's what she calls it. It's like it's yeah. like what a it's like what a child would call like, "Mommy, can I have some of the purple thing?" Yeah, you know, and they'd be like, "Here you go." Like instead of what is that? Oh, it's an eggplant. Oh, <laughs> eggplant, purple thing. It's like all my life, purple thing. Have you heard of compersion? Yeah, I like what the is word. That? What right. that? Well, compersion is sort of what what you were saying, the M. Scott Peck thing, as yeah. applied to se- sexuality. The uh, polyamory crowd will say that. Uh, the way they define compersion is the pleasure you take in your partner's pleasure. 
Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. So she's that's my shit. Grew in George Clooney, and mm-hmm. you're like, damn, if I were a woman, I'd like to be out there screwing I'm so George happy Clooney. For so her. I'm really happy, you know? And then later you'll tell me about what George Clooney was like. And By the way, George Clooney seems to be an example of someone who's openly non monogamous and doesn't try to pretend otherwise. Uh huh. You know, he could have had the stage marriage to help his career, which right. a lot of people have done. Yeah. And he's very openly like, yeah, you know, that's not for me. It wouldn't work. Right. Yeah. I will say that as I've gotten older, when I was a young person and had a young person's view of sexuality or of monogamy, I used to think, is that too loud? No. I used to think cheating is like the devil. Yeah. And that would end every relationship. And as I got older, I started to go, I kind of see how people stay together. And then you get a little older and you go, oh, I kind of see how people just aren't monogamous. You know, it's like it sort of starts Mm -hmm. to, your own brain (laughs) starts to to crack the societal kind of infrastructure. Well, that's the thing that's so difficult about um, kind of like coming to an understanding for yourself in your relationship. Like, at least for me, I'm just speaking me specifically, but like, because I feel like I've tried enough different variants um, that it's that formalization going back to that. It's like when you have a talk about how, like, the, like specifics about how, like hypotheticals and specifics, it it feels weird because you're laying out th- possibilities of th- of things that will kind of like you'll feel good in the moment, but then if you have a moment to yourself to think about it, you start projecting all the things that you talked about and kind of experiencing things that are unnecessary to experience really right but i think the idea of what you're talking about like sharing your life with someone in that intimacy i think that and this idea of compersion um is very interesting to me because that's that's that feels natural in the moment and it's really just creating an adaptable flexible framework to kind of exist within or just like a fluid a more fluid style i don't know yeah it's interesting to me well i think it's It's a sense of maturity to recognize that the reason you're with someone is not about sex. Mm -hmm. So therefore, sex can't really be a threat to that Uh as long as your partner recognizes that as well. You know, I mean, in my case, you know, I can't imagine somebody screwing my wife in such a way that she would be like, that's it. Goodbye. I'm I'm leaving Chris. I just got to have this, Uh you know? So she's never been with a gorilla like me. (laughs) Tiny penis. penis, Docile, hairy person. (laughs) You know, I've told this story before, so I won't go into it too much. But uh, a couple years after I was with Casilda, I learned that she had inspected a thousand African penises as part of her research. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I don't really have a lot of penis insecurity. (laughs) Which which I think is really important. You've got got an extra bonus (laughs) boost. (laughs) Yeah. And that has nothing to do with my penis and everything to do with my ego, I assure you. No, no, no. I understand. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I think that's an important part of it. I think a lot of men have this sort of bizarre, magical belief system around penises. Yeah. You know, that they think, you know, oh, if she's with a dude and he has a bigger dick than me, that's it. You're fucked. You know, I'm exposed as a... Right. And we talk to women about that, and they just laugh in your fucking face. You know, right. I'm not going to leave a guy I love because this guy's dick is bigger. You know what right. I mean? Are you kidding me? But guys think that way. So I think there's a a lot of, you know, the truth shall, shet you, shall, shall set you free. Yeah. Uh, Martin Luther King said that much better than I did. But 
I, I think the truth about penises could set a lot of guys free. You know, right. stop spending your money in those well, stupid that's what fucking Malcolm X pills. Said that. He oh, said the truth about, about the penises penis. will yeah. set you free. Well, he you know would. That? He didn't. No, no, he didn't. He's say that. Malcolm X. <laughs> oh, sorry, he yeah. set up Generation X. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he invented. Was well, that where that comes X. from? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Alternative thinking. I thought it was the X Men. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was uh, Professor no, X. And when he got his doctorate, he became Professor X. Yeah, that's true. Well, listen, you're a couple of uh, a busy boys. I know. I see you looking at your watches and stuff. We probably got to wrap this up. Is sure, there anything? Smart watch. Smart watch yeah. Uh, anything you we can plug here for my two, three dozen fans? Oh, people will have listened to the entire two hour episode. I'm amazed how many people listen. Yeah, everybody can go to MoshaKasher.com. It's M-O-S-H-E-K-A-S-H-E-R.com. And they can follow me on Twitter. I have a, an hour stand-up special that's available on Netflix all the time, streaming, called oh. Li- Live in Oakland. And I have a book out called Casher in the Rye. Not Catcher, but Casher, my Casher last name. In so the yeah, rye. that's clever. Check me out. That's clever. I think I saw your stand-up thing. Has it been out for a while? Yeah, since uh, it came out in uh, October. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, uh, so I watched it right after oh, we, met. we met. Yeah. Is that on Netflix? It's on Netflix. I'll, yeah. I'll watch it. Yeah. I can't free. wait. That's and, awesome. And um, uh, yeah, the book, it talks about a lot of the deaf stuff and the uh, childhood right. stuff. So if you're more curious about that, right, you can cool. check it. Yeah, you, Reggie? You can, uh, I haven't checked my site in a couple of years, but <laughs> it's, I have a site called ReggieWatts.com. I announce a lot of stuff on Twitter. Uh-huh. And I have a, this thing, Jash, that I'm doing, Jash.com. You can, What's that? J-A-S-H.com. It's like a comedy. It's a YouTube comedy channel that um, has uh, some partners involved. There's myself, Tim and Eric, Michael Sarah, and uh, Sarah Silverman. And we kind of craft the aesthetic of the channel, and then we, we, we create videos on our own sub, our own channels on Jash. And then we also occasionally will do projects together. Uh, that sounds great. Um, Jash.com. Jash.com. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting stuff, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. And, uh, um, and the great thing is that the community can do what they want to do on it as well. Right. So No, no gatekeepers. Not really. I mean, definitely, like, curation They're- to the point at which we we want everything to be very good quality right you know and and by good quality also meaning making sure that whosever idea it is gets seen the way that they want it to see right it's made the way they want it to be made and and look the way they want it to look so yeah it's an interesting it's an experiment you know it's an experiment it's like a tv model kind of self-governing tv tv model on the internet which has been tried many many times no but not with this kind of brain trust behind it right yeah, I'm hyping it up, baby. Yeah. Jash. Jash.com. All right. Hey, thanks, guys. This has been great. Great for me, too. Thank you. He said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you. Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you ever know Said it for a headstone Soft touch 
Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.